Hey, Internet, good morning. Welcome back to Crazy, and I've got to just adjust my headphone for the monitor right there. I don't even know what to tell you. <clears throat> Statues are falling. Flags are burning. A federal global hegemony is in turmoil and decay. And here we are on Saturday morning. What are we going to do? We're going to chill. All this moving day for me. So I'm going to chill for a while, and then I've got something special prepared for you. It is more show. No, don't worry. There's an hour-long feature this morning that I recorded earlier this week with Dr. Adam Kuntz dealing with, well, everything. Mm, everything. If you want to know my political point of view, don't watch. Or, yeah, watch that. Watch that. It, it came out. I tried not to. I teach you at seminary not to do this, and I'm usually really good about allowing for the openness of my opinion to be changed, right? And it's true. It, it is. I, I'm open-minded. Open uh, I will let you dialogue with me via logic and convince me I'm wrong. I, I believe that's possible. I think that's how civilization happens. Uh, but in, in this, uh, this one hour long feature, you will hear me at one point just kind of say, I've given up hope on something. Uh, and, uh, so if you want that, if you want that political edge, you can, you can watch that feature, but you should watch for a lot of other reasons. We're going to be talking mainly about the Magdeburg confession, which sounds not like the Augsburg confession, maybe a little bit like it. What's it about? Why would we care right now when the cities are burning? Well, the reason is because this kind of stuff's happened before. And as a Christian, sometimes it's nice to know Christians have stood in your place before. And as a Lutheran, well, sometimes it's, time, it's nice to know Lutheran groups have also stood in your place before. So a little more of that later. While I jet away to help, again, make moving day get going, we're, we're kind to conclude our month of, of being between a rental and home ownership, right? And today is like washer dryer and piano and all that kind of stuff. So I'll, I'll dash away, but then I'll be back after the feature uh, and we'll conclude a little bit there uh, and then and head off into the week. But between now and when I dash away, which should be sometime around 8, what did I say? I, I can't even remember. Uh, yeah, r around 8.45 or so. Um, uh, we got a lot to talk about, including, again, falling statues, burning flags, a federal global hedge money in turmoil and decay. It makes me think about the prophets. It reminds me of the language of the prophets when they talk to these great global powers of the ancient world in personification. They talk to them as if they are um, beings with identities. And a thing that Kuntz will talk about a little bit, and we don't really chase the rabbit too far, is the idea that a nation is an identity. And historically, this has been tied to ethnicity, and this is just because of how human groups arose and where they were. And you can get into a bunch of racial theory about how it's all prejudiced because we're sinners, but the real point is that everything kind of sprouted where it was, and as, I guess, Darwin would teach you atheists out there, uh, those who were fit strove to survive in the human race, and that's how we got to where we are. And by and large, we're pretty peaceful if you're an atheist. In my mind, I think it's going to get a lot worse. I, don't, I think survival of the fittest will dictate... Things getting significantly worse than they are right now. I believe there's an antidote in Christianity, and frankly, a lot of other world religions are like, yeah, let's not kill each other first. <laughs> right? Uh, although there are there are edges of that. If you follow the news, I mean, we're falling apart. Have you seen what's going on at the border between China and India? And Pakistan is sitting right there. you got nuclear powers that are killing each other on the ground accidentally, maybe. We don't know. I mean, it all continues to unravel. Um, it's, it's a weird and scary time to be alive. But I just got to tell you, the sin of nations should not surprise us. Whatever made our tribes what they are, whether I'm American first or whether, like— what was it? The, the chief police officer, uh, the chief of police of Houston? 
I couldn't believe I was even watching this on Tucker Carlson last night. The chief of police of Houston talking about how it's time for his people to to have their you're the you're the chief of police. You're in charge of the whole. What do you mean? And which people are you going to are you putting out now? So so whatever you are in this land that we're in, whatever nation you belong to, I belong to the one that says the flag protects the liberty in the Constitution, right? My, my identifying of the flag with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights protects my ability to be safe so far as I can take care of myself in the wilderness in this land, right? That, that that's really is what it is. And, and I like that a lot, as opposed to, well, I don't know, Chaz, which is already falling apart, all the damage that's being doing and all, done in all these cities all over the world. Who's going to pay for that, by the way? Oh, taxpayers? Yes. Get ready. I mean, well, they're going to send subsidies, right? The government's going to print more money, so it'll work. See, that has happened before, too. And as much as my eyes light up when I think, ooh, I'd like a second one of those checks, that wasn't so bad. That helped us get into this house a little easier. I also know how this game plays out over the course of economic history. And, well, when you print more dollars and the dollars are just paper, all it does is make everything else that's not paper take more dollars to pay for it eventually. It doesn't happen next week. It happens over the course of a decade or longer. And that is a terrifying thing to behold happening to us. It's all a sin of nations. I, I keep going off, off track because there's so much. How many things could you get squirreled by right now, right? That's why you're watching and listening to me right now on a Saturday morning. You don't go to church to hear this kind of stuff, but you need to, right? What's going on? The prophets look at all of this, and they, they declare to each of these people groups that the gods that they worship are false. And by this, it's not about the statues they had in their houses, although sometimes it was, and sometimes it still is, but really it's about the ideologies which they identified all truth and worship with. And to to divide truth and worship, to say, I'm an atheist, I don't have worship, well, then you're just not understanding what I mean by worship. I'm talking about where you, as a creature that has some sort of life essence in you, has a pushing of it unto a greater thing than yourself. That's what we call worship, right? And we all need this. It's part of who we are. It's part of what we're made to be. But the the nations of non-divine revealed truth, which is everybody who's descended from Adam and not had the word of God come to them, which is only those who've rejected it, by the way, sin against the Holy Spirit coming up later in the show, um, uh, those people groups who are outside of the word of God have said, I don't want it. By the way, America, what have we been doing the last 50 years? I don't want it. We've been saying that really loud. When you end up in that spot, your new gods are the ideology or the idolatry. I don't care which word you use because it's really the same idea. The, the, ideology, the, ideology, the ideology which drives them, in fact, drives them into the ground. They can't see the forest for the trees of what they're doing to themselves. Like the rioters who don't realize right now. I, I get it. Yep. We, we, we should not have police brutality. Nobody has said otherwise. I've not heard a single person advocate otherwise. But when you burn to the ground, the very, very small businesses in your area that were surviving so that nothing is left but the hegemonies who control everything. Well, then, I mean, you just got to wonder. I tell you, I mean, goodness gracious. So, so Jocko and Joe and, and, and Weinstein and what on earth – and really, the other the other acronym applies WTH more than than anything. But, I mean, if you haven't listened to Rogan ever, 
You probably shouldn't until this week. You should listen to Weinstein. Brett Weinstein and Joe Rogan had such an important conversation this last week. I cannot recommend it enough outside of, right, look, if you don't want me to talk about life and you only want me to tell you what the words of the Bible mean in a really narrow, exegetical way, don't go do this. Ignore this piece of advice, okay? But otherwise, if you care about, like, being a good citizen right now, you need to hear the conversation these two men had because they're so spot on all the way through this thing. I I don't know how we can make it louder and out of it, they, he, Weinstein even has the best, it's impossible, third-party answer third-party answer to the crisis right now. And, and, and the, the hope that there are enough people of goodwill and good minds still out there who could have this conversation and say, you know what? This is easier than what we're doing and no one dies. You know, that, that's worth it. Anyway, it, that conversation was great. The Jocko Willen conversation was great. There's one with uh, uh, Colin Noir, which was also great. Very timely stuff from Joe Rogan this week. But... Through it all, through it all, I continue to hear them pipe up without a belief in sin. They say, well, what we need to do is this, and what we need to do is this, and if we would just do this, and then we need to do this. Who? When? How? Do you know the history of man? Have you ever studied us as a creature? It's very easy to say if we just did this, 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 and this. We're very good at that. We sit in the trees and blah, 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 blah. I cannot blah, blah. I mean, that's why we watch TV is so we can talk about it afterwards about, you know, as if we know everything. But if you actually try to get us together to be a team, you try to run an NFL team, be the coach who you're yelling at all the time, try to make those overpaid but well-paid and deserved and very taken advantage and probably racially discriminated against people, you know, make them play. <laughs> right? It's just not as easy as we have to, we have to, we have to. And that's what I just don't get from the conversation. Because out of this, what's lacking in this is not just that humans are hard to control, which is obvious, but that we're wicked. There's something wrong with us. Everyone wants to blame the system, the system, the system. It's all not me. It's all them. I'm the only pure one left, me and my flag or me and my burning flag. God help us. Are you scared? You should be. But not not because of all of that. Because we, we don't believe in sin, so we can't believe in the God who has the answer. I, I got to say, I'm coming back to this. Hold on tight. The Googleplex is too great. Weinstein's third-party idea is fantastic, by the way. You, you should listen just for that reason. And Rogan's third-party alternative idea was a lot of fun, which is The Rock for Prez with Jocko Willink as VP. And honestly, it'd be better TV, and I think less people would die. So I'd be for that one. Like, that's how interesting it's become. I almost said bad it is. That's how, that's how mad Max Headroom this really feels at this moment. <laughs> I mean, what? That, that was a joke when I did that 14 years ago or 12 years ago. Whenever it was, I put that Max Headroom thing together. It was a joke. It's like, oh, look, I can be like that guy. I'm feeling like it. You know what the, the story of Max Headroom? He's like he's a he's a, a broadcaster for freedom in a dystopian you know nonsense world. Okay, uh, I'm, not, I'm certainly not the greatest of these at all. But and, and that's not what I started doing any of this for. I do this to preach Christ, which I'm going to come back to. But but the answers that they talk about they're worth your time. And the Googleplex, the problem with the third party is the problem that the Christian has preaching the gospel today. It's the same problem we face. The Googleplex is too great. The amount of control that, that media as a blob has over information is directly connected to its ability to make money for the top, like on a scaling curve, right? Exponentially toward the top. That reality prevents 
good ideas that do not benefit the, the, the fighting economic powers for global control right now that are massed as countries and, and businesses, uh, uh, that cannot uh, – that fight on top is not going to be breached even by, by Joe Rogan, even by millions of listeners saying this is a great idea. To get that to actually be on the ballot, this thing is so rigged, and that's why they're rioting. That's why they're rioting. That's why I didn't vote last time. And I'm sorry, you know, LCMS pastors, if that seems weird to you, I was in a move and I didn't have a residency, unfortunately, so I couldn't. And my state voted either way. I mean, I knew where they were going. North Dakota was going Trump. There's no question. So what did my vote matter? And that's the question every high school kid asks themselves. And we say, well, it really does. MTV says so. And you know what? I don't trust MTV anymore. And so I start to ask, how does my voice as a Lutheran Christian get represented ever, anywhere, but by me shouting into YouTube and every once in a while... I'll get a newspaper from the LCMS. The pastors get this newspaper that talks about some of the business that's going on as an organization. Like after that, where are we? I can go Google Wolf Miller. I can go Google Roseboro. I get it, right? But we're also buried. Blacklisting is a real thing. I'm not saying I'm personally blacklisted. I don't think that's the way it works at this level. I'm too small. But what, what does go on is the algorithms do diminish the things that don't make money. And you think the gospel makes money? Ha, try living on it. <laughs> Yeah, the gospel doesn't make money. So that's a problem. But now, now we have political solutions to real problems in which people are getting beat in the face in front of their homes in cities. And if you haven't watched Tucker Carlson, you should because it's so disturbing you'll never – ah, you will not be able to sit back and say this is okay anymore. You will say to your politician locally, what is going on? Or you'll look at a camera and say, what's going on, people? It, it is brutal out there. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, the sin of nations, where is it? It's right there. The sin of nations, the, the heritage of the fall that we receive from our fathers, patterns of destruction. And again, Weinstein explains so well how this is, in fact, the ghost of slavery so writ large across this country. And that the solution needs to be one that addresses the ghost of slavery, and yet both sides well, he's not the only one saying the term civil war. And what am I supposed to do now? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a country-loving American pastor who didn't own a gun till, well, recently, recently enough, who now suddenly is glad he has it and doesn't know what to do because I got to go teach my layman about Jesus and loving their neighbors themselves and defending their family and not being afraid when they don't know what's going on. And I'm not quite sure how to walk through all that myself because I keep looking for a leader. I keep looking for a preacher who I can listen to, who I can follow, who will say, like, this is what we are going to do. And I'm just, you point him to me if you find him. I, I love my buddies and I don't think I'm the guy, but maybe, I don't know. It doesn't matter. We got to talk to each other. We got to shout wherever we are. We got to say something about this. It doesn't mean vote Republican. It means we got to talk about sin, the sin of nations. This is our humanity. And if we think by voting anybody into power in, in, in a couple of months that we are going to fix it or keep it from breaking more, we don't know our Bible. Forget the history. You don't know what it says about your beating heart. And every other, you remember when Jesus is in Jerusalem and everyone's like, hey, Jesus, it's Passover. It's great you're here. And he's like, yeah, in two years are going to kill me. Because he knows 
what's in us, and we don't. That's the piece I got for you. We don't know what's in us. Here's what's in us at its deepest. This surprised them. It doesn't surprise me. It only makes much more sense. And then the conclusion that Weinstein comes to, but this line, I'm going to lead with this on Mad Mondays, by the way, probably to write on this. He said this in the middle, it was at the very end of the podcast, but he makes the point, and, and this is no, this is no conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories as an idea is a conspiracy theory, for pity's sakes. Um, he said this, the pharmaceutical industry has mice, the only ones they test on, has mice that will tell us that the drugs they are advancing into the market are safe when they are not, scientifically demonstrable at the highest level. Um, Rogan says, uh, what do we do about this? Right. What do we do about the fact that the pharmaceutical industry has been using a special breed of mice genetically altered to look a certain, to act a certain way, to have certain traits, which actually makes it more likely to live through things that might kill us over the long term if we use them? That's the science, right? And um, how many of those are there? Margarine? Soy, for pity's sakes. Yeah, uh, that's his question. Rogan, what do we do? Weinstein, how many other thises are there? Now, if, if you think there's no thises, and that that's all a lie, then you don't believe in original sin. You don't understand that when men get to the top, they use it for them. <laughs> that's what they do. It's what we do. It's what I, I mean, you think, I'm a father. I love my kids. I do everything I can for my kids. I know at the end of the day, I'm selfish. <laughs> I have to admit it. It's, it's honesty. It's the spiritual gift of honesty, I suppose, to be able to, to, to confront the darkness within and be like, yep, that, ugh. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the crucifix. Thank God for the blood that was shed on that real cross. Yeah? Ah, sin, sin, sin. We got to get back to that. The Proverbs, uh, the text, excuse me, not Proverbs. The text for this coming Sunday, for the epistle, from the historic one-year lectionary is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. And this is not it particularly. This is my own scribbled notes on the matter. But I'm going to guarantee you it applies to what's going on right now. What Burning flags, falling statues... The president, who's a tyranny, a dictator who can't even defend the church across the street. A dictator who didn't defend the church across the street. He's so scared. It's weird to watch Trump be actually scared. I don't even know what to make of that. All of this, Peter says this. Peter says this. This is the guy who's crucified upside down, by the way. When I do yoga and I'm upside down and I do it, I think about my feet in the air being nailed to a cross like Peter's. And I think, dear heavens, Lord, I am not worthy. He says this. He says, be humiliated under the hand of the mighty God. So that at the last day, he shall exalt you. Now, your English is going to say, humble yourselves as if you could do that. Be humiliated. Look at it. Dear heavens, cry. Cry over what you watch in Tucker Carlson. You're going to get angry too because it's wrong, but cry. Weep, mourn, and wail, you sinners, as James says. Because we deserve it. We deserve it. I know. I want to go back to potlucks and sleepovers too. I thought I had a lot of sleep over my kids, right? But I want to go back to that life. Cherry Cola in the basement, let's watch some movies. You know? This is the planet. This is the normal. Whatever past we got out of whatever Protestant work ethic slash grace-filled thing, I mean, be humiliated. We've been murdering our babies for 40 years. Be humiliated. So that at the last day he can exalt you. This is not your home, right? This is not the real one. You're a foreigner. You're a sojourner. You got a camel and a tent. And you're walking. And you're not going to be there till you die or till he comes back. Know that. Own that. Be that. Why? I mean, I asked Kuntz this too. And it, it, this is where I'm more angry than anything. I'm angry about the people that got hurt. 
the lack of care that the system that all of us pay – well, not all of us pay, do we? Those of us who pay taxes into is there to stop this kind of violence and rage from being actually exposed into the civilization as, as something that happens, as this is non-civilization. But what, what, I'm, what I'm most still angry about, angry about this for years though, is that Lutherans are embarrassed to be Lutheran. Christians are embarrassed to be Christian. And now I guess Americans are embarrassed to be American. British are embarrassed to be British. Muslims are not embarrassed to be Muslim, nor Hindus to be Hindu. Hence the fighting going on between Pakistan and India. You should check that one out. Again, it's really interesting. You think Trump's this interesting, you know, not interesting is the wrong word. You think Trump is a radical, uh, non-listening sociopath? You should see the guy who's running India, <laughs> really, and the motorcycle gangs he's using. Um, it, it's, it's a whole nother thing, right? Religion over there matters to them, though. Here, it only matters to those who are rioting in the streets, shouting the phrases that have, well, Marxist overtones. Let's just say it that way. Now, I know not everyone who protested is a Marxist. You were duped by Marxists. You're the simple fool of Marxists. They talk about you. They call you the simple fool. They call you the simple fool. And they want you to go out and protest because who would ever be against what you're protesting for? And you're right about that. And then millions of dollars flow into communist coffers here in America who have the agenda to simply destroy every system so a communist <laughs> uh, utopia arises afterwards, which will, of course, involve the re-oppression of those who were the oppressors. Oppressors don't get to go home. <laughs> they, they get show trials. Um, and this is not new. This, this has happened so many times in history. I know we all slept through history. I don't know what to say about that. We all slept through history. What can I say? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Hey, sin. And that's the point, isn't it now? <laughs> We're all going to die. I get a local church here has uh, assigned it. It doesn't read well, real well. I like what he's trying to do. You know, you know the, the, the statistic for death is 100%, right? Like we, we all end up rotting in this thing. Again, the missing, the missing piece is the humiliation of knowing your sin. That's back to Peter. So then humiliating yourself, knowing your sin, owning the sinful condition of your dross as you walk through this pitiful, dark valley of death and bones – Toward the glorious green flowing water, honey and gold future city of the world to come, cast every anxiety on his keseth. Oh, his keseth. He doesn't say keseth. It's, it's in Greek. But steadfast love, his charity, his, his compassion, what God has for you, that he is for you, not against you. Cast every anxiety on that. That's your prayer. Kyrie eleison. Lord, have mercy for you know that he cares for you. And then, mm, be sober-minded and be watchful. How little have we even hearkened to such words? I could spend a ton of time on it, but I'm going to tell you that sober-mindfulness ain't so far removed from being able to sit still and pay attention to one thing for a while. We'll just leave that there to sit, but watchful, watchful, watchful. Does it surprise you, or are you starting to figure out where you live? The roaring lion prowls. That's our Google Plex white noise matrix of death. The roaring lion, he's all around us, but you can resist him. It's not that he's so big, right? The psalmist says, I shall tread upon the lion and trample the serpent underfoot. So resist him firm in the faith, which is to know again. Well, your sin and the antidote of your sin in Christ. And to know this reality as God's final word on the matter until the day of judgment, well, that is sufficient to resist what you see in the confusion, which would lead you to despair because you should not despair. You should stand up when days are hard. You should not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. 
But lift your head high, child of the king, knowing that resurrection awaits you. I can't say it enough from my own heart. I I, I like to imagine the moment of death. And I've started to do it like with actual things. And I haven't gotten to the level of martyrdom pain yet. It started with like heart attack version or like airplane crash, right? That's standard stuff most people are afraid of randomly, right? And they do, well, air, heart attacks do kill people. Uh, airplane crashes less these days. Um, but, <clears throat> so let's do the heart attacks. So you're sitting here watching TV, whatever, right? And you know, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure. I'm 75. It's going to happen eventually. And so, oh, there it goes, the heart. Oh, it kind of hurts. I got pain in the arm. It's like, you know, honey, you, you got, I, I like to dream this one, right? Honey, I'm, uh, I think I'm going to die. Um, no, 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 don't call anyone. Come here and kiss me. <laughs> it hurts a little bit. It was like, oh, it's just a heart attack. It's going, ah, uh, ah. Uh. And then, and granted, you can live through a heart attack and you do want to get help. I'm talking about being at the very end of my life. Maybe I've already got cancer and I'm ready to die anyway. The point is, you're at that point where you can't get help, okay? And you can freak out or you can sit back and realize that in a couple moments, the whole thing like inside out or outside in, I don't even know, is going to explode with glorious like fresh water feeling. Like, I don't even, what is it going to be? Kapow! Guys! I mean, I don't even know. You know, you're going to be erased. It's going to be this incredible extension of life. And it's not from you. It's to you in Christ. And what a thing to hope in when you're afraid. Can you remember? That's the trick. In the moment when the fear goes, can you say, baptized. Or whatever you need to lie, not lie on, uh, rest on. Set yourself to, I know, if you don't like baptism, you don't like the Bible says about baptism, then you just have to rely on Jesus. Baptism is Jesus, and that's what's really cool about it, but, but you got to be able to preach Christ to yourself. Baptism is just the way Christ preaches Christ to you, for you, through yourself. Different topic. Maybe we'll come up later, although we're already low on time because this has taken me everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. Resist him. Firm in the faith. We can resist. We can resist. And this is not the resistance of Jean-Luc Picard, anti-Trumpism, whatever. It's about the, the arch enemy of humanity, a dragon who's an angel of fire and light, who doesn't sleep or slumber, who is probably locally existent, so he's not like in your bedroom with you, although he's got hordes and you can't see any of them, but of course God has you marked so they can't really harm you with the actual harm of, well, hell, but they can let the fires of the earth out on you and God allows us, as Job tells us, it's quite a war. It's quite a war. Uh, you know, Jesus loves me. This I know. Um, here, little kids, color some cartoons. And uh, it'll all be fine. It'll all be fine. Meanwhile, other religions take it seriously. Sober-minded. Know that the same suffering is experienced by all throughout the world. The cross. The cross is the common experience of Christianity. Christianity doesn't open your eyes to make life better. It opens your eyes to see life as it is, which is a giant hand of God crushing us. <laughs> He's just smothering us because we deserve it. My kids cleaned out some roaches recently. There really wasn't a question. You just get rid of them. That's what you do, right? Okay, well, see, this is God in us. <laughs> and, and you can see that, and then you can see coming down through that dark death, like a shot. And landing in the midst, the explosion is this cross with this man hanging on it. He is the God who's entered the own crushing to be crushed in itself so that in his blood, other side, we rise. We rise. That message, that message, that's Christianity. That's it. It's the whole reason I'm on YouTube. It's the whole reason I talk. It's the whole reason I'm a preacher. I don't know what I'd do without that message. 
And why I'm talking to you this morning is because I love that message, and I see that message under threat in more ways than one today. And some of it's from the demasculization of the church over hundreds of years, but it certainly led to a timidity and a cowardice among men, which is embarrassing, especially when we just have to like stand up on, say, what the Bible says about communion or something like that, right? And we're all like, oh, oh, people will come back because we're so afraid of money. I mean, a lot of pastors think what I'm saying, by the way, we just are afraid to talk about it because we get run out, you know, and then we get abandoned by the institution. They won't help us anymore. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I can't plan for next week. So why should I not tell you how it is? I don't think it has to be that bad. I think Lutherans particularly have the capacity and have shown it in history to unify. It's quite impressive what they can do. They're almost Jewish when they achieve it. Then, then they lose it after like two generations for some reason. And I don't know why. And when I say they're almost Jewish, I mean, if you look at the Jewish community, the Hebrew community, they're incredibly insular and yet also engage the world constantly. As opposed to the Amish community who are mm, incredibly insular and don't always engage the world, right? So, so I think Lutherans have the capacity to live and be like that. Somehow we have to recognize, like the Amish, that maybe our kids are going to leave and let it go and, and recognize that they're not us anymore. And that's something, too. I mean, we can't even admit that, right? Can we admit that? Can we admit that people who stop being Christians are no longer really our sons and daughters? Is that a doctrine we can even talk about? Obviously, they still are related to us. Obviously, we still love them. The, the creation has built us to hunger for their return. But the only way we can hunger for their return rightly before God is if we acknowledge they're gone. Dear heavens, my Lord, my beloved is unrepentant. Please aid him and let him not be sent, or she, to the abyss. Right? It doesn't matter how, but we have to start with the acknowledgement, which brings us back to, again, what's missing from all these conversations? What could Christians offer to these conversations? Talk about sin, not as in you all better stop, but as in, oh, hey, how this is how it is, and we got to like take that into account as we deal with it. Otherwise, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse than this. Warlords. There was a warlord in Chaz, a warlord in a square block area of Portland. Seattle? Seattle, excuse me. Seattle. Portland's where they're just trying to knock down the police stations. Um, There was a warlord. It didn't take long. Didn't take long. What are you going to do when there's a warlord in your neighborhood? You might have to call him, you know, Dawn, like, like the mafia, right? You hope for one then. You hope for a warlord like the mafia. That's better better than downtown New York when those, uh, you see that video, the police driving by and shots fired. Unbelievable. How about I say good morning and remind you, as I've said again, that all of this head spinning as it is, Google Plexi as it is, the prophets went through this. They show us that these nations, the, these ideologies that are our, our idolatries, and once upon a time, we're driven primarily by ethnicity. Today, I would say it's more about culture than bloodline, although certainly those things have interactions. They weren't afraid to say we're not part of it, and we're not going to live like we're part of it. Now, granted, the prophets sometimes lived in caves or were thrown in wells, things like that, but we're in a different time. This is the time when the sons and daughters shall prophesy too, right? The promise of Acts. It's not that you're going to get divine revelation every afternoon or ever because, well, cessationism and all that, but to stand like the prophets did against the tyrannies of the world and lift your head high. That's what the early church did. And it's what the martyrs underneath the Babylonian captivity of the church in Rome did. Uh, and it's what, well, Christians are still doing in a lot of places. Are our bellies just a bit too soft? Are we waking up? 2020, 
2020, hindsight, does it have to be? Does it have to be? You know what I'm saying? Here we go. Got some stuff from you I want to dig into here this morning. We are going to do this. All right. Well, that almost worked. Okay. Do, 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 do. I'm now lost because I need to get to this window. And I want to start with small world. That's E. Here we go. Bow. That didn't work. <laughs> there we go. We're on. Um, and I'm going to do this over here. Cool. Hey, Rev Fisk says, uh, T Race. My pastor, Reverend Vanderbush, wanted me to say hi. Apparently, he knows you from seminary. A small world indeed. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not so much. It is not a small world in the LCMS. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry. It is a small world in the LCMS. But when you say small world, you act like it's a surprise that we are as a connection, right? But it shouldn't be. The LCMS is so small, like statistically speaking, in the American populace that the fact that we all run into each other and many of us are related to each other over the course of two or three generations isn't surprising at all. It's a little disturbing that we've not been so good – well – I, 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 Koontz is changing my mind a little bit on this one, but it's a little disturbing that we've been so disparate in our faith contention, our ability to stay faithful as Lutherans in America, um, and yet uh, in the LCMS, I should say, uh, and, and yet um, uh, we still stay in the church body. That's, that's a really interesting thing. That's a weird thing. Anyway, anyway. So, yeah, small world. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, it is a small world, and so it's not a surprise. You should expect that if you get involved in the LCMS in any way, you're going to get to know people. You're going to run into people. It's And we're not that big a deal. <laughs> like, like, oh, Fisk, people know him. Not really. No, no. I walk down the street. No one knows who I am, right? Airports, nah, nobody. So so it's it's like it's not like that, right? And that's the case for all of our, our famous LCMS people. Um, so just don't get awestruck by us. We're humans too. But, but by all means, get involved and get to know that world because you can't, especially in this digital age. You can understand and know what's going on in your district. You can understand and know what's going on in your circuit with your circuit visitor. You can be part of those conversations with the church body. Um, That is very possible. Um, But it's not really surprising that it's small. And the bigger it got, the the less you can have a voice, hence federalism, all that. But let's see here. What else can we do? I mentioned the unforgivable sin earlier. So we are going to go to that one because it was, it's one that comes up often enough. And like, I always get frustrated when this one gets asked because it's like, well, I answered that so many times already. But the thing is, it gets asked again because it bothers people. Right? <laughs> and, and if you don't have the ability to go find the answer through a depth search, and certainly Google's not going to help you find the right one first. They're going to find you the money-making one first. Um, it can be really an ache on the conscience. So so I get that. Um, but Part of my frustration in answering it, I've answered this before, I don't want to do it, is because it, it has no business being an ache on your conscience. It is a strict misunderstanding on your part based on just not having the right tool belt given to you to read the Bible to begin with, but also translations and whatnot could be more careful about this kind of thing, um, I think, uh, to make it more clear for just kind of the the devotional reader, right? Devotional reading of the Bible is a different thing than scholastic reading. That's why you don't do scholastic reading in the English. It doesn't count. That's fake, right? <laughs> you got to go to the original languages. So, um, okay. So, so it comes up often enough and bothers the conscience enough, but you, I, it will continue to bother your conscience no matter what I say, unless you believe me at the start that it's a switch. Okay. This is not a growth 
This is not a, a spectrum. This is a yes or no reality. And the, the reality is that you have not committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. And if you did, you'd never ask the question. That's just what you got to know straight up. And that here's the other one straight up. All he's talking about is unbelievers on judgment day go to hell. That's what he means. Unbelievers on judgment day go to hell. Believers on judgment day don't go to hell. They go to paradise. Sometimes we call it heaven. I like to think of paradise because it implies the resurrection. In either case, on judgment day, believers go to paradise. Those outside of Christ who are outside of him because they've chosen not to believe in him, they've rejected his gift and offer of resurrection, um, they will go to hell. That's what he's talking about. That's the unpardonable sin. They have sinned against the Holy Spirit. They have rejected regeneration. They refuse to believe. They will not let the indwelling life of God come into them through their ears. They have no ears to hear. So be it. That's it. It's not that tough, except for we want to make it all unsi smoonsi about the inside of our hearts, right? Ooh, can I feel the Spirit? Because we've got a complete heresy with regard to who the Holy Spirit is. We, we believe the Holy Spirit is this like floating juju power out there in the world. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. That's what Pentecostals do believe. And sadly, most Lutherans have just adopted it by osmosis and lack of paying attention or lack of good teaching. I don't know which one it is, but it's not what our documents say. It's not what the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit enters you by the word of God. By, by hearing and believing the word of God. Now, don't get mad at me if you are deaf and use, you know, some other form. That's not what, I, let the scripture speak, please. When the word of God comes into you, ear, eye, however, water, bread, wine, it does stuff, right? It is life itself. And clinging to that reality is the essence of the entire Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. On the last day, we say amen, right? God speaks, we say amen. His word is life. Doctrine is life for that reason. So, take that back to this text. Now, we're going to go to the text, actually. Here we go. Let's go to Mark, right? Take that back to this text. And, and remember, he's not making up new stuff all the time. He's talking as if it's all always true. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Baalzebul, like that one's the Lord of the Flies. Appropriate for the weekend, don't you think? Uh, Baalzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons, right? So, oh, uh, hey, everybody, that guy Jesus over there who's teaching about love and charity and how he's the son of God who's come to be, you know, killed to save the world. He, in all those miracles he's doing, demons. Demon superpowers, we have it on good word, that that's what's going on. Huh? What happens? He called them to him and said to them in parables. There's a huge crowd, right? Say, hey, can I talk to those guys? Hey, guys, come here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in parables. Hey, how can the accuser drive out the accuser? Huh? If Satan casts out Satan, yeah, and we treat it like it's a proper name, but the word is the accuser. How can the accuser cast out the accuser? Can, can you have the, the prosecutor in the court be the prosecutor? I mean, sorry. <laughs> yes. Can you have the prosecutor in the court prosecute himself? Right. Um, no. Right. That's the question, though. That's an insane question. No, of course he can't drive himself out. Why would he? He would. He would not do it well. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Well, again. So, not only is it a foolish question, but doubly so, it would be a foolish action. Why would you ever divide your forces? Why would you ever set yourself up to have a harder time? White America. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. I, this is what you're doing. Um, why would you ever, why would you ever, why would you ever choose to suffer? Now, there's something to this, by the way, because there's a place where we should choose to suffer. But Jesus right now is talking about Satan and global powers. 
He's talking about nations against nations, right? Why on earth would a community choose to die, especially if it's already evil and into self-preservation, as Satan's community is? Always. Right? He, for, for hate's sake, he stabs with his last breath. So if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot be able to stand. I mean, it's appropriate for the weekend again, don't you think? And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand and is coming to an end. So like, why are you upset? If I'm trying to throw down Satan, that means Satan's easier to cast off. So you should let me kind of do my thing over here. Now, I, that's a fascinating argument. <laughs> I'd love to dig into that one a little bit more. But he says something quite different next that changes the whole game. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may plunder his house. Again, that could be appropriately applied to a lot of different contexts, including the weekend. So if you want to go prophetically weird on it, you can. But he's talking about, look, guys, you think I got Satan inside me and that's how I'm doing the miracles? Let me tell you something. Unless I can cast out Satan, I can't save the world. So I'm kind of here to do that, and that's what I'm doing. Rock on, people. Oh, but truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness because he is guilty of an eternal sin. So they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So they continue to talk about him being demon-possessed after all that. So your question is about when he says this next part, right? Whatever blasphemies they utter, is they're forgiven. But the blasphemy against the Spirit has no forgiveness. It's an eternal sin. Well, what is it? it I'm going to just try to make that jump now. I told you the answer already. It's simply this, that Jesus says... I'm risen, I forgive you. And they're like, no. That's it, right there. <laughs> That's the sin against the Holy Spirit. And can you be forgiven of it? Well, all sins are forgiven. He's not saying it wasn't atoned for. He doesn't say they will not be atoned for. All sins are atoned for. All sins are declared forgiven. But the forgiveness is received through, 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 hello, Rome, not works, uh, faith, which has to believe it. And so if you're like, no, well, then you don't believe it. And so you don't have it. And it's a weird thing. It's such a simple thing. It's like, well, that's just a very human thing to believe or not believe something. Well, yes, although the power to achieve this particular believing is inhuman and supernatural. But it, it functions within a very human, very first article, normal way of operating in your head, which is to trust something, right? Now you're trusting the word of God. Now you're trusting the word of God. So I had a moment ago, I, I said the word white America. It's not the way I talk. Um, and it's weird that I said that. I feel afraid now that I said that. Isn't that interesting? Just because I'm white. Weird. Are white people allowed to be white and say they are white? Or do we just have to not talk? And that's, as a preacher, I mean, you, you think, why are you stirring hornlessness? As a preacher, honestly, I've been dealing with this kind of stuff for years with the feminists. It's the same game. So I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. But in terms of your question, you have not committed the sin against the Holy Spirit is to not believe in Jesus. Unless you don't believe in Jesus. Did you, do you want to? You do that. <laughs> I mean, you can get caught in the rabbit hole of your own belly so easily. So stop looking at it. Get yourself crucifix. And when you're like, I don't know, look at the crucifix. He's like, well, you, you know, talk to the hand. Like literally, you know, talk to the feet, talk to the side. It's sufficient. He's sufficient. And the sin against the Holy Spirit is not believing that. And they're not believing that because they're going around saying, well, he's got a demon. He's, he's the devil himself. They're like, well, he's, they're wrong. If you believe that, you're going to hell. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah? And that's it. So that's why, again, can you see why I'm like, this is just not that big a deal to get stressed over? Because the answer is so simple. It's so straightforward. Um, so straightforward. So simple. What, what time we got here? I have one problem with my new setup here. And it's that I have no 
Good clock. We just got a few moments here. How fast can we go? Let's see what number B has. Is there a B? Where's B? Did I not open B? Then we won't go to B. We will go to D. Oh, this is an interesting one. Oh, faith or regeneration come first while the world burns? So, um, uh, Layman Logic asks this. Re- regeneration or faith? Which comes first? This seems to be a big conversation surrounding some baptism discussions. Oh, interesting. Um, that's new to me. Uh, I, I don't remember if this, like if Peeper gives a page to this question, regeneration or faith, which comes first. Um, I mean, the way you ask the question, I think, is telling. Because the chicken and the egg thing, it, whether or not, I mean, I, pr- I pretty much am sure the chicken was created and the egg came later. But the point of the question is not to say, are you a creationist or an evolutionist? The point of the question, chicken or egg, is how do you... How do you see the beginning of something that's tied to itself? You can't. It's like trying to see the beginning of God. When did God start? Was there time before God? Well, no, he created time. Then, then what was it, right? You, well, you're trying to get outside humanity, humanity at this point to see this. And the fact is, I, 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 I have yet to see a Bible verse that's like, you should really care about which comes first, regeneration or faith. I see a lot of Bible verses that seem to use them both as very necessary realities in the Christian life, both of them being gifts to be relied upon. And the distinction between them is is a thin one, right? That faith would be to trust something that is said, that regeneration is the growing back of life. Well, what is the growing back of life that Christianity gives you? Well, the faith to trust what God says. That's actually the part of life that grows back. So they're not so far apart from each other. Now, if this is then the question of well, what about baptismal regeneration, does regeneration happen before baptism? It's like, are you kidding me? Is This is all the sacramentarians is trying to deride baptism because they can't get out of their like time-oriented, uh, you know, rationalistic, scholastic fix on making everything have like I's and T's dotted the way they want it. Like, so, so what if someone's regenerate before they come to baptism and baptism regenerates? Like, why is that even a problem? You got people that don't believe humans are human today. They're, you know, men and women don't even, men are giving, having babies all the time, apparently, and stuff, right? Or whatever. Like, people will say it. You know, you can't say they can't say that. That's the world we're living in. And you're concerned, <laughs> like you should be, if, if, if baptism is indeed an idol, if baptism is indeed wrong, and, and what we think the Bible clearly says about baptism is not true, and we're teaching falsely about a symbol that's there and it's in the way of Jesus, then indeed you should mark and avoid us. Not have a conversation, not, you know, not, not figure out, we're just wrong. Now, what I'm going to say to this conversation is, it's just wrong. It's the wrong conversation. Which came first? Who cares? Jesus. Jesus came first. Jesus came first, he gave you faith, he regenerated you, he sanctified you and justified you all at the same moments, entirely imputed to you, and the experience works it out through this thing we call Tentatio of the Cross. The baptism is a superpower in all of this. The Bible's really clear about that. So try to figure out where regeneration happened before or after. Obviously, if somebody believes, they're regenerate. And if they come to baptism, it's because they're regenerate. And what does baptism do? It regenerates them. And you're like, how can it be? And you're like, you're a human, that's how. <laughs> You know, that's my answer. I, I love, I love the question, and it, like, it, I don't know. I need to learn to remember. Oh, 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 oh! This will help. This will help with me. Hold on, hold on. Let's find this one. Where are we? Where are we? No. Oh, well, we can. <laughs> Is it this one? No, not that one. I want to do that one because it's funny. But ah, uh, I'm missing like two of my my things here. That's so good. Uh, nope, we don't have it. Bummer. Well, we'll go do Daniel Dittman. 
We need some comedic relief, don't we? Yeah? Meat is kind of gross when you think about it. I'll send you an application for my organization. This is under the vegetarian Lutheranism thing. Um, meat is kind of gross. So if that argument works for you, then snowflake. That's all I got. So uh, moving on from there, I think I cannot. Ha, oh, bummer. Where are you? What if I go here? Here we go. There it is. Come to me. Yes. Solid Defense says, and sadly, we can't quite get all of it to you to be seen. What advice do you have on balancing vocational productivity and leisure activities? I want to be more productive and would like guidance on diagnosing whether my main issue is inefficiency or prioritization. I love this question. Um, It's overthinking. (laughs) Your main issue is is overthinking, probably. And we know a lot of us have that. There's so much input. How do you ever begin to deal with the output? So my first question to you immediately is, how often do you take a pen and a paper and write something down? And how often do you read it again later? And when you do, do you write it a second time? Um, That, right off the bat, is the number one thing to know, period. Uh, In terms of balancing vocation, productivity, and leisure, you're asking the wrong guy. What I've been doing over the last several years is trying to funnel my leisure activities into my vocational activities so that they become the same thing as much as I possibly can. And it has a, it, it's, it's cool. I mean, that's, that's kind of what you do, what you love. Right. And, and there's, there's books about how maybe that's not what you should do. You should just go get good at something. And you'll find out you love it. That's true too, I think. But when you, when you, when you do what you love and it's no longer just leisure, if you play video games for a living and have to comment on them at a certain point, as much as you love video games, you don't want to go home and play a video game, right? So the real question is how do you disengage from the war and recoup? And don't forget how important humans are in this. Other humans, right? Even if you're an introvert, the other humans that you trust and that do not overwhelm you. Uh, those people and spending time with them is so essential to actual leisure, right? Sleep also real leisure. I'm talking six to eight hours. I only get my six and a half usually, but should be eight, six to eight hours of solid, as much darkness in the room as you can get. No blue light an hour and a half, at least before sleep, right? That is leisure. And what you will find is the more well you are in those things, uh, sleep and nutrition is important too. Um, sleep, leisure, uh, sleep, nutrition, and um, uh, human relationships, having some that you can trust quietly and turn off the white noise in the midst of, uh, the more your vocational productivity will just be better without you having to change anything that you do. No tactics, no tricks. You're just going to be a better person and you're going to be more functional. So that, that's my first thing right there. And, and I'm going to tell you that writing it down, reading it, and rewriting it is going to be a key part of making that happen. Um, stay tuned for more on that. But I also want to say something about balance. There's no such thing as balance. This is, this is, it's not true. <laughs> Obviously there's balance. I do yoga, right? I stand on my head sometimes. There's balance. But there's, when you're talking about achieving a balance, an equilibrium in life of perfection, uh, there's no such thing even really in nature. There's no like gallon of water. There's a gallon point oh 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 whatever right or four point nine 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 whatever right so getting your head out of that way of thinking so uh, black and whitely about your productivity and instead trying to ask what's a good thing to do right now what's the right thing to do right now what's the dutiful thing to do right now that's way better than the hacks. And I mean, I've spent a lot of time in the hacks. I got the, the beginnings of a book on, on smart notes that I, I can't wait to write. I'm enjoying it so much. 
just thinking it through and it's writing itself because the procedure is so good. Um, and that's all out of that hard, how to take smart notes book. Um, but at the same time, it's, it, it fulfills a leisure role now a little bit. Like I chose the other night not to play a video game and to go work on that because the work became more compelling. And it wasn't like, Oh, I have to, Oh, I'd better. It was, this is so interesting. And I mean, maybe not everyone's going to find that in that particular type of thing, right? But you're going to be productive when you're interested in it. And if you're having to say, I need to stop, then you're not interested in it for some reason. And it's addressing those questions. I'm going to tell you again, that your, your sleep balance, if you want to balance, balance your sleep, um, your nutrition, right? And your real relationships with real face humans with the white noise off, that'll have a lot more to do with your day-to-day productivity. I mean, turn the white noise off. Dear heavens, you'll have so much more done. Start, stop driving if you can. Don't drive if you don't have to. You'll gain so much time. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah. All right. I saw that there was, I'm going to close this down here. There, there was a super chat from Michael. Oh, well, that's different. Now we can't see it. That's weird, YouTube. No, that's Ecamm, I suppose. Well, I'll read it from the side. Sorry, that's not going to be on the screen this morning. Um, Currently, Christians who aren't ashamed are the Puritans right and left politically clamoring for a crusade inquisition. Yeah, I've observed that the Orthodox are under fire from both. Here we stand. That's right. That's right. We're in a weird spot. Um, I think, uh, I got to look at the time too. Hold on. Yeah. All right. Well, the conversation that I had with Pastor Coots couldn't be more timely, I think. Uh, And this comes out of a question, a comment that came from one of you on this thing called the Magdeburg Confession. And Baron Albatross uh, is pretty into this Magdeburg Confession thing. And he wrote this this week again. He's, he's the one who sent me... Why can't I get that to go? There we go. He's the one who sent me the copy of the uh, reprinted book of it uh, and, and got me interested. It's what led to the conversation with Kuntz in a moment you're going to see. Um, he says, uh, Luther should not be dismissed as, a, as weak on politics. That's true. He like yelled at princes and stuff. However, it could be said that he, he has to teach us hidden... Uh, um, that what he has to teach us is hidden among his other theological work. Yeah. It's not been a focal point. I mean, why would the church that's paid by the state in Germany want to emphasize the ability of the church to tell the state, stop it? Why would the state let that happen? Incentives. Listen to Weinstein and Rogan again and just start a note page that has the word incentives on the top and just underline that. Where are the incentives? And uh, it's, it answers so many questions. So I would, I would suggest visiting a close friend of his, Nicholas von Amdorf, Amdorf learned, Amsdorf learned from Luther in word and deed. He was at Worms with Luther, and he used what he learned from Luther and the scriptures to produce the Magdeburg Confession. He was the first signer. Siege of Augsburg was the last stand for Lutheranism in Europe, or excuse me, in the empire. And for n- not the political prowess, and I think it's not for, and not for the political prowess, and godly wisdom given to these men, the whole Reformation may have been but a blip in the timeline of history. In summary, these signers laid out their case for the defense of the gospel, even using arms. The confession appealed to Christians to understand the limited authority of the state, and especially for the magistrates to obey God, even though they had contrary orders from the emperors. That's the key, right? It's not about whether you can rebel. It's whether or not your magistrate can obey God rather than the order unholy, which he has been given. Fascinating. And in the end, the elector of Saxony did defy the emperor and the siege was ended on favorable terms. Shortly thereafter, it was decided the electors were allowed to establish their territories as either Catholic or Lutheran, which led to lots of other problems later. Um, Reformed Lutheran issues especially. Uh, Check out Omsdorf and start with the Magdeburg Confession uh, if you want to learn more about how Lutherans deal with the tyranny successfully in earlier days. So that is, uh, can I do this? Will it be this way? 
Yes, that is what's going to be happening here. I'm going to go for about a three-minute break, and you'll it'll be back with a hour-long feature. Myself and Dr. Adam Kuntz talking about the Magdeburg Confession, talking about, well, this time and place. And while I wasn't quite as disturbed as I became last night watching Tucker Carlson, I'll say it again, um, uh, certainly the issues are the same ones. And as as everyone who's being reasonable and having conversations is saying – um, and Jocko actually said this really well. Emotion doesn't help in these scenarios. You got to you got to detach the fear. You got to detach the passion. You got to detach the anger. And with rigorous and principled attention to what is right and good, you act carefully. And that needs to be done in every single place that we are. So we'll be right back here in a moment. So as is my want. Microphones don't always work in my world. And uh, Professor Adam Kutz and I are going to start over. We only went maybe 15 minutes, but it was good stuff. And uh, to get us back into the reason why you should care about the Magdeburg Confession, um, well, we need a little history this morning. And I think the thing I don't want to lose from that last conversation, Pastor Kuntz, is my summary of, of it as like analogy. Like, how's your conscience, <clears throat> policeman? Right, let's let's put yourself in the in the shoes of the the chief of police for Portland, where or Seattle, either one, right? <laughs> where where they've been, yeah. you know, their their facilities have been abandoned by everybody else, and now you have police inside the facility, basically as a fortress in the current age, dealing with people who are attempting to do physical harm to it and you, and yet you are not allowed by law or executive order to defend yourselves. Um, you're being told to pull back. How's your conscience for your men at that moment, if you're a Christian or otherwise? And yeah. on what truth, on what universal truth that no man could judge you and say that was wrong for, could you make an honest-to-God decision and feel conscience-free in it? Now, the grace of God in Jesus Christ means sin boldly at a certain point, so let's not lose that in this conversation. However— that doesn't mean you want to try to make the bad decision. <laughs> it doesn't mean that if there is a doctrine in God's word that will help you understand the, the actual virtuous and righteous thing to do, you shouldn't pursue that. And that's what this challenge that the Magdeburg Confession people who made it and then the siege and the war they endured because of it um, can help us maybe as, as Christians in the present age. Um, well, at least answer the question, what do I do with my conscience right now? Right. So you've got uh, in 1550, you're four years after Luther's death, you're 20 years after the Augsburg Confession. Today's June 25th. That's the presentation of the Augsburg Confession to the man who would prosecute a war uh, to erase Lutheranism from the earth, really functionally, uh, by uh, the end of the 1540s. And Magdeburg was one of the few places that was still uh, undoubtedly Lutheran, and resisted conformity uh, to uh, Charles V's mandate to bring everyone within the Holy Roman Empire back in obedience to the Pope. Okay, that was, that was the agreement he made with the Pope, and that's what he was doing uh, by means of war. Uh, the Magdeburg Confession comes out of that situation of anticipating having to put up armed resistance against the empire, and how do you do that? Now, we've talked before about how Lutherans have a reputation, uh, especially within America, for being obedient and uh, quietistic. That is, they don't want to stir up any trouble. And uh, 
that's very understandable, especially on the basis of a Christian conscience. Um, the Magdeburg Confession is actually going to say uh, sometimes, you know, the guy above you in authority puts you to trouble unjustly, and you simply have to bear with it. Um, but it's going to distinguish between levels of tyranny, uh, as it also distinguishes, I think, more basically between levels of authority. So there's an easy to understand example the confession itself brings up that I think will help people grasp what's going on here and how all power, all authority relationships really in creation have levels and responsibilities. The example it brings up is there's a father, and this is a very real example in wartime. I mean, if, if you're wishing for civil war in the United States, think about all the things that are going to come with that. Uh, in wartime, there's a father, this is their example, who uh, needs money and protection. And so he offers to prostitute his wife and his daughters uh, to passing soldiers. The confession says the wife and daughters would legitimately uh, be justified in throwing stones at him so as to drive him off. Nice. That is the father, right? Yes, nice. So, yeah, so this is, this is the idea of what we would call, when we talk about like the Second Amendment in the United States, self-defense. That is, by virtue of existing, I have a right to preserve my own life. As the father of a family, I have the right to preserve the life of my wife and children. Uh, if the state wants to come in and take them away from me, uh, I have a right to defend my authority against theirs. So there are always levels of authority within, the, within this historical context because the Magdeburg Confession will uh, be picked up largely by Reformed folks throughout Europe, uh, especially the Huguenots in France, and from there will travel to the United States and be known as a doctrine uh, to John Adams during uh, hmm. our revolution. Hmm. Uh, and that is the doctrine of lesser magistrates. That is kind of guys in the middle of the food chain, right? So they're not the emperor. They're not even necessarily a king. Although in the case of, for instance, Luther's life, his life is preserved by a lesser magistrate. Uh, when he's declared an outlaw and he's, quote, kidnapped for his own protection, that's a lesser magistrate who's saying, the life of this man is legitimate. It's godly. I'm going to preserve it, even though the guy above me wants to kill him. All right. So here's the question that cuts through all the ice in my world. Is the godfather a lesser magistrate? Uh, <laughs> I really mean it. I think, I think okay. every moral okay, question yeah. gets put out in that question. Everything so we I, could argue about is right there. Yeah, I think something that's clarifying when you think about things like the godfather um, or similar figures, uh, sometimes called political bosses, sometimes mob bosses, it just depends on the group and, and the environment, um, is that America is not, uh, certainly after the Civil War, is by virtue of just all the different groups that come to be here, America is not what you could biblically call a nation hmm. in the sense of, sh of sharing sort of a common descent, a common genealogy, a common place of origin, right? Um, it might not even be that from the beginning. There are different takes on that, right? Because right. We're not an from... ethne, though, right? We're a, we're a right. hegemonic economic military power, a private army right. owned right. by many. We're always, we're always variegated. If you read David Hackett Fisher's book, Seeds of Albion, hmm. um, he'll even say that, you know, because of the different parts of the British Isles, that different regional groups that are all here at the revolution come from, America is never quite one thing. That's by the by. Uh, when you, so when you, when you think about groups, you want to think like uh, these groups might have different ways of representing themselves to the central government 
or in our political terminology, the federal government. And we think of that, oh, the states are different things. Uh, but biblically, you could even say like Italian Americans are kind of their own thing. This is not to say that Italian Americans are all represented by crime bosses. I honestly think that there's a lot of history there that's gotten lost. They're represented by, by dinner clubs, local dinner clubs. What I'm saying is every, everybody knows about Al Capone. Nobody knows about Meyer Lansky, even though Meyer Lansky was much well, more successful. I mean, the question so. for me comes out of the actual movie, The Godfather. And when you watch the movie, his, his rise to lesser magistrate within his community, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. agreed upon by the Chicago whoever or not, right. was one of initially protecting the weak. Yeah. He, they right. needed – a magistrate, and he rose right. to it as a tribal leader, and and that's how he became what he was. Now it gets pretty awful as you look at the the passing of it from father to son, and what it does to the family. Sure. I mean, it's a it's an amazing study in human sin and power, and what what it can do to us. But it also it begs the question: Where does any of that power of authority come from to begin with? And at what point do I get to say to the mob boss who says he's my governor, <laughs> um, you know, no? And the question of legitimacy is like is one that when you read Romans 13, it's not often the one that's brought up, right? We read Romans 13 to say, okay, submit to the governing authorities. Uh, but it also specifies there, well, what is a governing authority supposed to be doing? He's supposed to be rewarding good works and punishing evil. He does not bear the sword in vain. That's violent authority. Violence is not always wrong, per se. Uh, he bears violent authority so that goodness may be rewarded and evil punished. Um, there are plenty of instances in human history where the top or the most powerful authority is doing the exact opposite. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the claim of revolution, of, right? Yeah. A lot of us might be in one of those situations right now. So recognize that the question of legitimacy is always going to be contested in the moment. Give you an example from the time of the Magdeburg Confession. The reason that Magdeburg is being besieged is because a key figure switches sides. He was within the group of Lutheran princes who agreed to defend the gospel by force if necessary uh, almost 20 years earlier. Uh, And his name is Maurice, and he switches sides because he's offered his cousin's territory by the emperor if the emperor is successful in war. This is something else to realize is that elites will often actually destroy their own group Mm -hmm. uh, if it means that they'll stay in power. I mean, uh, there's kind of a weird historical example. There were Vikings that invaded France. They also invaded Sicily. They captured Sicily, uh, and then they're Normans, right? They're like Scandinavians, and they actually discriminated against their own group uh, in order to pacify uh, the two bigger populations on the island, Jews and Arabs. And they did that to stay in power, right? This is exactly what happens with the Magdeburg Confession. Um, The reason that they're going to be besieged a few months after they make this confession is because there was an elite man who thought that he would get more, and so he switched sides. And so who's who's legitimate now? Hmm. Um, So legitimacy, I think, is is especially in times of strife, is going to be extremely contested. And that's not actually the Magdeburg Confession doesn't come down by saying. Uh, we're justified because this guy has no power over us. If you're a Game they of say, Thrones, we're justified oh. because because we have authority to protect those who are under us, who the man above us actually wants to harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, the Red Wedding is like all this kind of stuff, and the fact that this is part of our real history, then uh, as Lutherans, and we know nothing of it, uh, that's always right. a funny 
thing, isn't it? That the, the the history, the truth of the history, stranger than fiction as the proverb goes, but we we <laughs> right. know so little of it. We know so little of it. Okay, so again, let's get a couple of key terms here. We I think we did these sure. last time, but not this time. Um, I want to make sure we know about. Well, I have a question. How is the Thirty Years' War related to this? And then the Small Called War is the particular one we really want to define. But I I have this Thirty Years' War thing in my historical noggin, but I have no idea how to contextualize it. So the Small Called War uh, precedes the Magdeburg Confession. The Small Called War happens uh, because of Maurice's switch of sides, um, and then the Lutheran princes are just completely obliterated in 1547. Um so the, the confession comes in 1550. The Thirty Years' War is in the next century, although it's on related topics, and it comes because this is kind of a scary thing for America. The Holy Roman Empire, like the modern United States of America, is both nationally diverse in the biblical sense of a nation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of nations, uh, and uh, politically diverse. That is, it's often unclear who has power over what, when, and where. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, that results in massive war, both in the 16th century, which is what we're talking about today, but even more so in the 17th century when Germany is just devastated for off and on for 30 years. Yeah, yeah, over these religious issues, issues still, but also with the guise of we get more land if we if we win, kind yeah, of stuff. Right. right. Also over power because when there is strife, um, generally the strongest man will will benefit. Mm-hmm. Right, the one who comes out. So then, so the small call war is what are the years? Because the the confessions in 1550, they've already lost the small call war by the time they make the confession, right? Yeah. Right. So the, yeah, they, they they lose at the Battle of Muehlberg in uh, 1547. Right. And this uh, is so what happens after that, or what you would call like in military terminology, mopping up activities. And Magdeburg is supposed to be a place that's just going to be mopped up. Because it's a fortress that, you know, it's a stronghold. You want to make sure you take it, and it might have a little bit of resistance, but you're probably going to get it because you just beat the big army out there already, right? Right, right. So, because it's just a city. How medieval is this fight? We're talking knights? I mean, what what is this war? Uh, we're talking uh, how many hundreds? Thousands? Um, um, you're talking thousands, okay. um, uh, but um, the 16th century in military history is kind of a neither here nor there. Uh, as it is really when you think about the Reformation, is Luther a medieval person or a modern person? Right, right. It's, it's neither here nor there. You still have people calling themselves knights and priding themselves on their cavalry skills, but you also have you know firearms and cannons that are really making a mess of all that. So I didn't realize they had gotten in that, that early. So, okay, and that's going on in the fight. Oh, my goodness. I want to know more about that. Okay, so small Cold War, they lose – they get mopped up. There's a cleaning up yeah. action of having to deal with a couple of cities that are in resistance. Uh, right. Magdeburg is one of these, and they decide we're not done. They decide we're not done, and they actually state in the beginning of the confession, um, and they, they have a very exalted understanding of what has happened with the Reformation. They don't think of the Reformation as like a, a historical event that you know about in the same sense that you know like when the Wright brothers flew. Uh, they think of this as uh, the opening of the end of the world. Hmm. Luther is only necessary because the world is so dark, because the world is winding down. So they speak of him as a third Elijah at the beginning of the Magdeburg Confession. And they're very clear. Um, they say that the truth shall not be defeated by arms. So they also maintain that the gospel cannot be snuffed out. And it will not be snuffed out. Um, that's their assertion at the beginning of the confession. Because the beginning of the confession is a reassertion of a lot of things 
that in the years between uh, the defeat of the Small Caldic League, so the, this is like a three-year time period, uh, the emperor had imposed the Augsburg Interim, which had conceded you can have communion in both bread and wine and priests can be married, but you have to accept transubstantiation and uh, you have to accept that justification is not by faith alone. And uh, something also to note in times of crisis, elites will betray you uh, if it's to their advantage. Uh, and men who are somewhat timid in peacetime will become extremely timid and be destroyed in wartime. And so figuratively, uh, Melanchthon is destroyed because Melanchthon says, well, let's just go along with the Augsburg interim for the sake of peace. So understand, too, that the place that you had relied upon as the fount of the Reformation, Wittenberg, has ideologically surrendered. Yeah. And we knew that. And I so, mean, that yeah. you, you knew that already, I think, in the history, if you're paying attention to the, the yeah. crypto-Calvinist stuff that's going on. But um, there was a lot there. I want to jump back for half a sec and make yeah, sure, sure I at least acknowledge and, and give people a way to deal with this. Uh, when you read the old Lutherans, every once in a while you're going to come across what looks an awful lot like the veneration of Luther. And, mm -hmm. you know, to call Luther the third Elijah is like on the level of saying his words would be prophecy, right? And it's, it's, <laughs> it's pretty easy to get tripped yeah. up on that and then not yeah. listen to anything else they say. And what I'm going to tell you is don't get tripped up on that one sentence in which they're confessing how seriously they're taking this. Like, we really think the world's going to end, like, right. next week, right? And yeah. we're sitting here in the future. We're so lazy. And we're like, uh, look at them. They got it wrong when they tried to pick the Antichrist, right? right. Well, you know what? You know, <laughs> you know, they, they were a little stressed at the moment. Uh, we should maybe take a lesson from them and be a little more aware of the, the, the imminence of the end of the world. I also think we can learn to not try to pin the tail on the Antichrist quite as often. Don't assume your leaders are necessarily going to be fulfilling prophetic roles. But um, don't let that little piece trip you up from what comes next. Because what you'll find is that they, they don't really put that into biblical terms. They don't really make that dogmatically something you need to agree with. No. Uh, yeah? No, it's, 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 it's an analogy. But the reason the analogy is used, and I think I, I want to distinguish between people who have never been to war and uh, people who have been to war hmm. is that there is there is a tone and a certainty that comes from having followed someone through immense difficulty that uh, people looking back on it who were never there I think cannot understand right and an allegiance right and I and and to to me the the concerning thing about us in our time is that when we see the way that people talked about Luther or even in our own synod the way that people talked about Walter. Hmm. Um, why did they talk about these men in this way? Um, I don't think that these these guys that had these amazing confessions of original sin, and Magdeburg has one too, uh, because that turns out to be part of the big issue with Roman Catholics is that we, we start out by actually not agreeing on what original sin has done to humanity. Right. I don't think these guys were deluded about the fact that Luther was a sinner or right. Walther right. was a sinner. I think that they understood these men as having been used mightily by God. And right. when we look at them, you know, we have both more historical perspective. Sure. We have more information. Sure. We also don't have the benefit of having achieved anything with and by these men. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so we we're, we're like people, we're like flabby and we've never been to war. I mean, I think one of the great things that's happening right now is that God is clarifying things for us. 2020. And, uh, I, 
Yeah. Twenty twenty. No one's yeah. picked up on that yet. There's got to be a T-shirt eventually. I mean, really. Yeah. It's a year of clear <laughs> clear sight. I think so. Yeah. Right. Right. So um, I, I think that that's part of their language about Luther. Um, I like the recognizing that the the Elijah talk is analogy. It is not yeah. a biblical claim. It's an analogy. They're yeah. like they're like yeah. similar to what Elijah did. He right. did that for us, right? And right. so, so see exactly. it that way, and then move past, move past that into again times of crisis. You know, you got the the worldly wisdom here, which is is good to know though, uh, that those with money and history with that money will value that a lot more than any other ideology, usually, uh, right. no matter what they're saying on TV, and. Yep. And that goes for you too, and it goes for me at the end of the day because it's it's kind of built into human nature. Now, the community right. of Christianity works against that, or should be, you know, just by acknowledging the the tendency and uh, greed and confessing that whatnot. So, you, but you got that, and and so being aware of the distrustworthiness of those who have moneyed power, even within the brotherhood, and that's a scary thing, right? To think that this guy who was willing to die for the faith with them now betrays them. I mean, dear heavens. Um, and then, but the other thing that gets me is the timid becoming more timid because Americans are a timid people at this point. I mean, our, we have our military and they're, they're gutsy people usually, but if you're not in the military and you're a man, I mean, I'm one of them, you know, timid, <laughs> timid. So that's, that's something to really be aware of too. Um, but I think, I don't, I don't know that that necessarily helps us understand how Magdeburg is going to, oh, let me say that differently. Does Magdeburg help us address those problems? Magdeburg, Magdeburg is going to try to retrain your loyalty to God's word, mm -hmm. because that's exactly the thing that's under assault when you are being tempted by uh, the idea that if you just betray uh, the truth and those who hold to it, uh, you will somehow wind up with something better, right? So the, the point of making religious confessions, uh, then or now or anytime, uh, is not uh, what we like to think of as virtue signaling now uh, because a virtue signal does not actually concern the conscience. Virtue signaling concerns honor and shame. Mm -hmm. And I receive greater honor if I virtue signal within whatever group. For so whatever it's a reason. shunning. It's a shunning tactic. Right. It's, it's right. Puritanism. I, it's still, they are the Puritans. The Puritans won. They just changed sides. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. And I, yeah. And, and I receive shame if I don't put out the signal or if I, you know, if I'm too quiet during the, the yeah. training at work, yeah. whatever. Um, uh, a, a religious confession is not is not a virtue signal because it concerns conscience, and conscience uh, it exists whether or not anyone recognizes it, whether or not the state recognizes it, or my employer recognizes it, or whoever. Right? Um, if you get banned from YouTube for saying what you're saying, uh, you still have a conscience, and God sees it. Right? Mm -hmm. So go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Understand the difference between uh, the Pharisees behave within an honor shame dynamic. Jesus wants you to behave within a conscience dynamic, which means that you do what you should even when no one sees because your father who is in heaven sees in secret. <laughs> and conscience has to confess before men. And that's what a confession does. Augsburg, Magdeburg, whatever, the brief statement, it has to confess before men certain things that are controversial in that time. And that's when you have to say, this is what I will say. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. How will I not be put to shame? It's because I, my conscience regards and fears only finally God. And that is why my conscience is bound to God's word. And that's why I must state what God's word says on this topic or that topic. And that's what it 
confession does. The, the, the distinction between the honor-shame culture and, and, I mean, I think all civilizations that function well and are, you know, under the, the so-called first use of the law are in an honor-shame reality. And it's, uh, you can't escape that to some extent. But if you want to see right. it worked well, you know, Confucianism really nails that one, I think, pretty hard. And you see it in the Asian view of honor and shame uh, today, if I say Asian, right, the the, the Far Eastern, whatever. Um Racism, I, you can't you just it's the, the conscience just just never leaves you alone when you're a white man. It's amazing. Um, speaking of which, so you're, so the you're distinction all, you're between always guilty, there is no forgiveness. That's right. That's right. I'm just born. I I, I have the mark of Cain is upon me. Yep. See how that you one flipped it. around. Um, honor, shame, society. First article, or should say, first use of the law, the law versus conscience in fear of God. It's not, it's not the gospel proper, but that it is in the sense of its faith, living, right. active the, the, faith. That's right. The gospel is the only thing that's going to enable you to confess. Yeah. And so this is where uh, a confession is both rearranging your loyalties, uh, especially if you have something to lose by confessing. It also should strengthen you, especially if you're timid, because the, the gospel uh, sets the heart on something that is immovable. Right. So why can I be flayed alive or crucified upside down or beheaded uh, or or die in war or do whatever God calls upon me to do? It's because my hope and my heart are set on Christ, whose work is sure and certain. Right. So the gospel is what makes you bold. Right. Uh, Paul will often talk about his boldness of speech his parecia, which he has. Now, that's a right that a citizen has in the ancient world. Parecia, only a citizen may speak. Why can Paul speak throughout the whole world concerning Christ? It's because he is bold in Christ to speak, and Christ rules over the whole world. So the gospel founds uh, both our preaching uh, proper and also our confession and really everything in our life. It's, it's why I am bold. I'm not bold because it's a certain just sort of uh, temperamental thing with me. Um, temperamentally, I would rather just be left alone. Right, right, <laughs> you know? for sure. That's that's me temperamentally. The reason I'm speaking, the reason we're doing this this morning, the reason I do anything I do is because the gospel has made me bold. Right, speak. right, yeah, yeah. It you can't not in a sense, right. and that is the right. gospel side of it. And then someone says, "Antinomy," I'm like, well, "No, no, the law still exists." Right, <laughs> but the. Luther it's not talks my hope. about. I mean, the law is not my hope. No, the gospel L- is my. Luther hope. talks about it, faith being this living, active thing that before, and this is not our confessions, but but he he says this, and I, I really do agree with him. Before it knows what it's doing, it's doing what must be done, and that's not the common experience in the sense that you only have that feeling ever when you're a Christian, but that does right. happen. It happens in your life, and and rejoicing in that, and then seeing that that fire within you that makes you want to speak the words that are true. That's that's more of that same thing. Uh, one last piece, and then I want to move into content a little bit more. And that's just – sure. I guess there's two because one's a question about your notes. But um, using the the word confession uh, as a term where most people hear that as being about apologizing for sin in some way right. or admitting a crime, I, I don't know that I, I think we do ourselves any favors by keeping it as our branding. That said – for to this morning's purpose, to understand the power of a confession is that it's not just you. It's like a legal group document saying, we all believe this, so deal with it, right? And whatever that right. means, and we're going to die believing this. People don't do that often. You know, weddings, when you get married, you kind of do that at a wedding. Um, 
It's most of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, when cities or, or groups of nations have done this in the past for their faith and left such a stunning one that it's worth clinging to, they sometimes endure. Hence the Augsburg Confession enduring. Hence the Book of Concord enduring. Um, the question is, you know, this one didn't endure in that time period. It was a different topic. It has a different level of authority in what confessions mean, but it's still there as a public document clung to by various Christians in history to ease the conscience, not alone, right? But in group. Right. And that's that's a powerful thing. So I guess I said that more than asked. My asking question would be then, <laughs> what is the Lord God's chancery? You, you wrote that phrase. And it sounds so British and wonderful, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> a chancery is something that uh, produces uh, writing and printing. Uh, and it's a term that the Magdeburg uh, churches use for themselves because not only uh, this confession will be produced, but uh, actually hundreds of other items. I mean, they were sort of a, a media production factory also during the siege. Okay. <laughs> so, so they're under siege, but they're producing content, you know, um, they're recording those podcasts. So right. Keep uh, going. Because, because, show must because, go on, man. Show must go that's on. Right. That's right. You, you know, it has to release. So I'm, I, because a lot of what they're doing also, and I think that this is uh it should put Lutherans to shame that uh, the, the Magdeburg Confession was finally translated in its entirety into English and produced by people that were not Lutherans. It really should put us to shame because we were not always this hey, slow to stop pick up virtue on signaling your honor shame culture. You know, uh, stuff. <laughs> right, me. right. Uh, I mean, it, it's not that I have no shame. It's just that it shouldn't be. Primary. I'm just going to ask know, it. I'm going to ask it differently because I hear yeah. I hear the question and I wrote it the other day and then I don't know what to do with it. Why are Lutherans okay historically embarrassed of Lutheranism. Like it's, it's in the water at some point. I don't know where or how clearly when they're like about to get slaughtered in a war and they're like, we're going to keep printing stuff, you know, like they, they weren't quite in the same place that no. we are now no. where they're, we're, no. we're embarrassed of our Lutheranism. How much of that is the, the white fragility uh, and how much of that is, um, I don't know, lack of faith. What is it? Why do we hate ourselves? Um, I honestly, uh, this sounds like a stupid point, but it really isn't. Honestly, I think a lot of it is simply the language barrier. You're hmm. cut off from your own past. Hmm. Uh, so when um, Presbyterians and Reformed Baptists wanted to let more people know about Puritanism in the 20th century, they just started printing books. You know, uh, they just found the old text and started reprinting doing it. Um, there's such a barrier between Lutheranism uh, in an English speaking context and its past. Uh, we're just not aware of what has occurred, even in our own country, because it was said in German or Swedish right. or Finnish or whatever. Right. Right. And so, right. you know, so so I think that barrier prevents us from understanding options, uh, yeah. our own options, our own ways of thinking about things. So in mm. the Magdeburg Confession, you you hear a tone regarding authority, which puts all authority at any level under God's word. Uh, rather than the tone uh, that we often hear among ourselves, which is, oh, these are the instructions. These are the guidelines. Let's make sure we follow them so we don't get in trouble, right? Which was which was definitely our tone um, in both world wars as well. Okay, uh, we don't want to get in trouble. We don't want to get in trouble. Um, God, that's so not the tone in still, That's like our whole ethos. I, I, just this morning, I was actually writing about it. Like my own conscience. Like what defines my emotional struggle and existential reality is that I don't want to get in trouble. Dear heavens, what is what was done to us, poor people? 
And how can we arise to trust our documents, our faith, our our history to like just get over this? And it's okay if we're wrong, LCMS. We can be wrong once in a while and we'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's ironic about it, too, is that they'll they'll bring up that, oh, you know, well, we had to we had to bring the flags into the churches in like World War One or whatever. And it's like, look, like the Episcopal Church was almost extinguished physically during the American Revolution. I mean, right. Rectors were killed. Okay, Uh, there was an LCMS pastor that was whipped in the street during World War One. But I'm not aware of anyone that was killed. Right. Uh, Somebody can correct me. Tell me if I'm lying. But, you know. The Episcopal Church doesn't have this ancestral memory of, you know, uh, well, we better behave so no one thinks that we're doing anything wrong ever, uh, even though uh, they were completely on the wrong side during the revolution. So, so where um, does that where yeah. does that behave pattern come into? I mean, uh, Philip was doing it back in 1540, yeah. Yeah. whatever, yeah. right? Yeah, so how much yeah, how much of it is tied to? Not so much that we've we've chosen the wrong pattern to follow is that somehow we've stopped following the pattern, the tone, as you said, of God's word. That's maybe we should just get back into that. I love that phrase, by the way, the tone of God's yeah. word. It, it this, you know, when Jesus says, "My sheep hear my voice." Um, yeah, more on that some other time. So you also then have yeah. giving me a second list of things here. So the principles. Right? What can we learn from the Magdeburg Confession and and any other like? kind of content you want to bring under these headings but yeah hierarchy and vocation in the design of creation or this is this it's going to lead into the upper and lesser magistrates uh, orders of hierarchy basically right right? um but just we have to talk about i think hierarchy to begin with that's such a bad word but then upward responsibilities downward responsibilities threats from above threats from below it sounds like um a hymn or or a rap i can't tell which one but um schizophrenia um, (laughs) (laughs) mad hatter and all that so uh yeah Yeah. let's just start with hierarchy though because it's so demeaned as an idea which is amazing given evolutionary theory like prides itself on a hierarchical system of development so but but philosophically um emotionally the idea of structured order with top that is top is very anti-pop like we just even though it's all over it's buried but um yeah we we hate the idea we don't promote the idea of submission <laughs> no no and and i think one of the things that that does is it makes all of our authority systems so i'm building from parent child uh husband wife parents ch- uh you know parents children all the way up to you know uh the president of a giant country uh an emperor a king um People will often ask for more transparency in government, uh, and you'll find that especially in democracies because there's always the sense that if you can vote the guy out or if he's acting like he's trying to do what you want, um, that there, there's always a gap there. Um, he's not exactly doing what I what I elected him to do. He's not doing what I thought he would do. Uh, there's there's always a gap. I want to know more about his salary, and I want to know more about his book deals, and I, you know all this kind of. How thing. do you how do you rule your ruler? I think the reason that's there is because uh, democratic systems, whether it's a democratic family or a democratic marriage, all of this is small d, obviously, or a democratic country, there's always going to be a, a perception gap between what I wanted from you, even though you're technically over me, uh, and what you're actually doing. Um, I think it is much easier and honestly comes more naturally, and you can certainly see this when the Bible talks about relationships to governing authorities, relationships within families. 
employment relationships, honestly. Um, and it talks about them transparently and just acknowledges that some people are in charge and some people are not. And that is, that is variegated. That's not the same. Like, so just because I'm in charge of my family doesn't mean I'm the boss at work. Um, just because uh, I'm a child, uh, I might be the oldest child. So I have some responsibility for the younger children, but I'm not in charge of the family. I'm a governor of a state in the United States. I'm not in charge of the country. I'm just in charge of Idaho or Florida or whatever. So uh, accepting that those relationships exist, one of the things that biblically, you don't have to love the word hierarchy per se, but you do have to recognize that in any given realm of responsibility, vocation, somebody's in charge and somebody's not. In fact, most somebodies are not. And therefore, which is why in in Chaz yeah. and Chop, you know, they already offed and kicked out. I think it actually got. I can't remember now which one it was. There was a big deal about getting whoever thought they were in charge out and the second right. person in. Right? This yeah. happened in the French Revolution. This happened in Lord of the Flies. I mean, it's just like it's it's going to repeat itself over and over again. But um, the fact that in a group, no matter how much you say on paper, no one's in charge here. Somebody's in charge, and, and they're going to run yeah. it however they decide to run it. If they're wise, they'll run it make, by making everybody else talk because <laughs> then you can't hold them accountable, right? right. So they can hide it. Right. And this is where yeah. your idea that, okay, you got, you got authority and hierarchy no matter what. What you're advocating is transparency of that fact by acknowledgement of the roles and saying that all public discourse and contract everywhere does this anyway. You, you, you define who's agreeing to what, and you stick to those roles. And, well, the Bible says certain things about man and woman in their relationship in marriage, father and child in their relationship in parenting. All of that is there um, as, as, a, uh, as a gift to build upon the very existence of our relationships, and it happens when you acknowledge that authority structure. The only one that doesn't benefit from the father believing he's a father and the son believing he's a son is the son who wants to usurp his father's position. He's the only one who benefits from a a softer relationship there. Now, now right. extend that further out, and it makes a lot more sense. The only one in a group who benefits from everyone not knowing who really makes the call is the person who wants to manipulate the whole situation and not be held accountable for it right who all who wants to make the call but doesn't want the responsibility to care for those under him and the result afterwards (laughs) exactly because if i'm a father and i say i submit to god's word uh for the sake of conscience i submit to god's word uh even if i'm the governing authority in my family or in my marriage uh that is still a government of laws and not of men it's mm. not arbitrary. It's mm. not whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. Um, I'm submitting to nourishing and cherishing my wife. I'm submitting to raising my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, everything is subject to God's word. That's how I can tell the difference between good government and tyranny, <laughs> right? Uh, because a tyrant does not want to be subject to God's word. And mm. the worst tyrant won't even tell you he's a tyrant. That's one of, I think, the sickest things about our time is that they want to make your life miserable and to oppress you, and they, but they want you to act like it's not oppression, right? You can lose your job for saying certain things or for not saying other things that you're supposed to be saying, um, and, but, you know, that's just a private company, and that, you know, that's their choice. Uh, at least Charles V, when he was trying to burn down the Lutheran city and force them to be Roman Catholics, was being straightforward about what right. he was doing. Right, right. Yeah. I've had this thought often about 
whether the devil just figured out that the full frontal attack wasn't going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I think he's I think he's smart. So yeah. I mean, it yeah. took him like 1500 years to do it, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I don't want to get in a fighting match, shouting match, scoffing at the devil. Aside from that, I I should not be afraid of him at all because of Christ, right? But um it is it is interesting how there was a there you can see a real shift in history where suddenly it kind of go, all goes underground and then the attack becomes, you know, it, not the scorching sunshine so much as as the uh, the the weeds growing up all around and I know how 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 does the parable of the sower impact you know the movement of history and various ways in which the Christians are persecuted or, or driven at various times it's like all at once and whatever you don't want to try to be too narrow with that but um, okay so hierarchy being unavoidably good ultimately even though we are unavoidably evil ourselves. Um, what is then an upward responsibility in a hierarchy? Basic one in Romans 13 is submission to the governing authorities for the sake of the work they're doing of punishing wickedness and uh, rewarding goodness. Um, that is a good thing. Um, submission to one's father and mother. Um, uh, a wife submitting to her husband. Um, children submitting to their parents. Um, you know, not... Uh, listening to their father and not despising their mother in the language of Proverbs. Right, so upward responsibility uh, is submission. Is submission. Yeah. And then downward responsibility would be? Downward responsibility could have a bunch of different words in the Bible. You could talk about care. You could talk about teaching. You could talk about wisdom. You could talk about protection. Um, it would really depend on the relationship. Uh, but that's why you find, when you find in these these tables of duties in the different, especially the New Testament letters, uh, you almost always find a reciprocal relationship. Mm. Uh, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands, and and so on. So then, the one who has the upward responsibility, submission, and everyone's got one ultimately at some point. Jesus, yeah. you know, to at the Father, point, right? right? Yeah, um, right. Within that, there's not a lot of movement. You basically are to follow the authority. Until the authority is tyranny, right? And that's kind of the conversation a little bit. But yep. then in the downward responsibility the, where you would teach or protect or serve, I guess, is, is a way you could say it, although that's a really easy word to twist. Um, serve the one below you. You're serving them by protecting them from one of these two things, right? Threats from above or threats from below. Other authorities higher than you that want to subjugate your authority to hurt them and right. – those who would be below them, trying to overthrow them in the role in which they find themselves. I think that's right, right? Right, right, right. right. And a central insight here that's very different from, I think, how we're taught to think is that um, my life is defined by the relationships I have. Hmm. I think this is something people often only realize when they're too old to do a lot about some of the relationships that they should have done something more about, which is this is actually what is worthwhile in your life and is worth investing in. Um, the rest of it comes and it goes. Um, praise, blame, honor, money comes mm-hmm. and goes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you have more, sometimes you have less. Um, as a human being, I'm defined by these relationships that I have. Um, and um, the, the health of those things, uh, whatever my responsibilities are in that given relationship, is my primary concern when I wake up in the morning. What should I do today? Keep going on that for a second. What, you know, um, that means that, wow, they can go a lot of ways in that. That means that the role within the household 
is more about the family and the household than about the work outside the household, which is very, oh, totally, totally. very I mean, counter I, I to American life, though. I, I mean, my, my wife is, is home with the children. Um, she's, she's full time at home. Um, but I don't think of what I do during the day as, quote, my career in the sense that I have some sort of course through life that I'm charting that is not with them or for them. This has really been amplified by uh, intentionally building the home kind of studio office space again, having mm-hmm. having tried to go fully mobile at one point and COVID put an end to that. Um, but, you know, building this space again, being present in the house throughout the day has been – and I think a lot of people probably did experience this with COVID. It's like, oh, look, we have to learn how to talk a little differently now, don't we? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. and, but that's like been the gold of the experience too. And it's the reason I'm glad to still be working from home is because after I talk with you, even though I have much more to do and will be quite productive today, I will walk out to go to the restroom. And instead of stopping at the water cooler to talk to any old who, I'm going to be talking to my kids <laughs> you know, just for a few minutes. And right, oh, right. To, what a thing. What a thing right. to have life be that way. And this is, I think, to shift topics again, but something you and I could talk about in the future. The agrarian mindset doesn't mean you have to grow your own food. Um, but it, it does mean that you know where your food comes from and that your family understands this kind of uh, group federal dynamic within the family unit. To get there, though, I think it helps to go back to federalism. And so Magdeburg is going to resist, and they're going to resist the emperor, and they're going to do it even though he says stop, and he's killed most of their fighting men. Let's get back to that, and, and uh, sure. you know, we, have, we have about 20 minutes left here. Let's tell sure. that story. Let's give what yeah. they say. Um, let's do the meat. So uh, what they say, which happens before the siege, is this. Uh, they've, got, they've got four levels of injustice. Uh, two at least of which you really should just pray to God about. This is interesting, okay? So the, the first level... So I'm running it down. It, yeah, the first one is, is mere harm. That is that the person above you or the authority above you uh, is doing something to you that is wrong, okay? Um, this is the suffering of injustice. This is what Peter would call suffering as a Christian. Hey, you know, it's, when, it's when your boss is crappy boss like all yeah right right. just not just not optimal um and and when you think about the relationship that way you're not constantly discontented because uh you just accept that life is not exactly what you would want it to be besides that you've got what they call atrocious injury Hmm. and that actually is only the second stage so they're saying you know even when there is atrocious injury um uh direct resistance at that stage may actually destroy everything Hmm. because one of the biblical insights from Romans 13 is that having governing authorities is much better than not. Okay. Anarchy is, yeah, yeah, let's just tangent right now. We're going to tangent right now for at least two minutes. You said it earlier, right? So yeah, some people probably are like, well, at least a civil war would take care of it, wouldn't it? And that's the kind of emotions they're going to be getting right now. And it's like, you have no idea what lawlessness really looks like. You got no. no idea. You don't want no. that. You would rather have the Democrat. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I think one one thing to Sorry. look at is look at a place like read about something like um, the American South during Reconstruction. Just the just the circumstances, not <sighs> not like who won what government. Just look at what happened to people. OK, like it average never goes people, well. black and white. It never goes it was, well for anybody ever. No. The right. war destroys the it destroys the area. 
right? So, so look yeah. at what's happening to downtown cities right now, and just know civil war means that happens to some percentage of everywhere. Yeah, you know, and, and we really don't want that. We can talk ourselves right. out of. I'm pretty sure we can vote ourselves out of this one if we're serious. And and, and some of it means turn the TV off. It's a different topic. Stop the white noise. That is a show you can listen to with myself and Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. But back to Magdeburg. Yeah, atrocious so got, injury. Do they define atrocious injury? Like if my hand is cut really. off, is that atrocious, or is it only if I am stabbed? The stabbing it, level yeah, of atrocious. They no, they don't. They don't have any of that because the because they're what they're not. They're not actually talking about um, this many businesses were destroyed or this many people were killed. They're they're always concerned about conscience. So there's mere harm. There's atrocious injury. The level above that is enforced sin. Ha. Okay, so that's where they're 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 not just doing something to you. They're trying to take away your right to think that they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Okay, they're yeah. forcing you to be complicit in their evil. You can't disagree. Then, right, and above that's where they're like, okay, like nobody's going to blame you if you resist. Level four is uh, beyond that is the idea of the persecution of your right to have. A differing opinion at all and this is where this is especially where it's going to be picked up in the 17th and 18th century as what will come to be called natural right which is where you get language in our declaration for instance of uh, of of right and by right i don't mean you know something that i'm sort of i'm gonna sue you uh because you uh planted a tree on my property or something uh right derives from the fact that god has created me has given me a conscience and when you assault not only my body, but also my right to think something. To believe. To believe. Okay. And this is where they understand that, that what, what is happening with Charles V is not merely that the guy who collects the taxes is changing now. Right? Mm -hmm. So I used to pay this armed warlord, and now I'm going to pay a different armed warlord. It's that the guy that's taking me over is going to take away not only my right, but also my children's right, right. to believe the truth, right. to even know that it exists. Right. And he doesn't yet really have that authority except on paper maybe, right? Like, like th yep. That's where the relationship thing comes in. So, so I think the reason that these distinctions are genius – I want to get to why they're not genius in a moment too. But the reason they're genius <laughs> is because they don't specify anything. They are principles. They can be applied and they will change based on your relationship. You, who are you in the hierarchical system as you're dealing with this moment? And that right. will impact what you're doing. Am I a father with a family surrounded by a major army? Right? Then we just die. Right? Am I a father with a major army that my governor runs? Well, then I join that. Right? And so it, it, there's there's going to be a different way to apply this in different places. Right. Yep. But this level of it, and to say that the Christian can actually let the atrocious injury go, but I think they're probably going to say, do they say that you can resist atrocious injury? That's kind of the question. Can you defend yourself? Uh, they're, they're, they're more ambiguous about that. They mm. actually don't think that that is necessarily wise because of the, that's the consequences different, that could result. And yes, yes. And that's so good, though. That That is so wise of them to not say that you can't. But to say that normally it probably won't work out well for you in the model we have of imitation from the Bible says you get the last word if you let him kill you. you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, that's kind of the thing. So all that said, okay, mere harm, atrocious injury, enforced sin, persecution of your right to exist as distinct. And this is where calling the Pope Antichrist matters because they were living it. 
where at the behest of the Pope pointing his finger, the emperor of the world, so far as they knew, was surrounding their city to take away the Lord's Supper. Straight up. Justification by grace. Take it away by the sword, right? At that point, there's a good reason. They're like, I think he's th- he's in league with the Antichrist. He's one of the many. Right. I'm pretty sure. sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, right. so now right. they're 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 at both enforced sin and persecution of your right to exist as distinct from them. And so that's where they're going to say they're going to they're going to stand. My problem with this is okay. I'm I'm a Southern Pentecostal and I don't see this in the Bible nowhere. So you tell me, pa- Pastor Kuntz, how this is yeah. Christian. Um, there's at least two different things. One are their wealth of biblical examples, which if you pick up um, the Magdeburg Confession, you'll see they they bring up, for instance, um, two different instances of resistance to Saul, which hmm. work out very differently. Uh, one is when Saul arbitrarily says, uh, nobody can eat, okay? And it turns out that Jonathan has eaten. Now, Jonathan has also been the salvation of Israel that day. And so Saul says, okay, well, then he has to die because it's revealed by Lot that it was Jonathan. And um, uh, the people actually say uh, that that would be unjust. Hmm. Hmm. And he does not kill Jonathan. Um, A a different example, same king, different example, is when he commands them to slay the priests of Nob for contravening him. And um, the, the, the people will not do it, and they themselves are put to the sword. So you have biblical examples. Magdeburg is not saying, when it brings up those examples, least of all, that when you resist according to conscience, with God's word fortifying you, that it will work out for you. Nor were they confessing in a situation in which it had worked out for them. Hmm. The siege was still in the future when this confession was published. And so what they're saying is, I, as as a human being before God, we as men before God, cannot submit to injustice, even if it means our lives. So that's, that's biblical. The, the other biblical thing is, there are the examples, the other biblical thing is this idea, and this is more, you have to kind of understand, this is the stuff we were talking about with hierarchy, is that no one is put in place by God in order to contravene his will. <laughs> even if he's ignorant of God, think of Cyrus, even if he's ignorant of God, He's put in place to do God's will. It is not his right to go about the world acting with impunity. Because the first argument that they use is these levels of resistance that we talked about. But the other two arguments they use are, it is no man's right to behave arrogantly against God himself. And God will use even wickedness if he needs to, to punish arrogance and tyranny. And the example that they use there is Jehu, who's, kind of wicked and impetuous himself, being used mightily by God to destroy the wickedness of the house of Ahab. So biblically, it's easy to find examples, especially in the Old Testament, of uh, tyranny and resistance to tyranny. I'm continuing to write. (laughs) There's a lot of good stuff there. There's a phrase that's been in my head Oh, a lot in the last two or three years. I finally wrote it down a couple of times. It's one I can't say on YouTube, I don't think. I could, but I don't want to try. It involves torpedoes and not caring about the torpedoes. And I much prefer the way the sailor would say it because I think biblically I can. I think I really am saying that when uh, when the world says, stop it, Christian, and we're going to do this, that, or the other thing to you – Indeed, the thing you're going to do to me, be damned. 
because it will be, you know, so far as it's outside right. of God's will and, and Christ. And right. and that mentality, though, of the sailor in the, the that moment or the, the captain in that moment, you know, but sir, the torpedoes, the torpedoes, right? We're going to go ahead anyway. I just we could just use a little more of that. And that's that's what this group was doing. They're like, yeah, there's totally. a good yeah. chance we lose this thing anyway. Uh, it looks like it's going to – I still don't know the history. I'm kind of like getting the inkling that it turned out better than it could have. But it, 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 they didn't – that's not why they did it, right? It wasn't uh, Zwingli or, or uh, what is it? What's the other city that Hardcore History did the big thing on the prophets of doom on um, that did the big rebellion? Oh, and the prophet was running around and uh, – oh, um, Munster? Munster, yeah, Munster, right? Where you're, you're, you're basically saying if you turn to Jesus now, we win the war, right? That lie is so black and so easy to to preach and spread, you know, that that we we are rightly afraid of that. But they weren't yeah. saying that. They, they were, were saying yeah. we can fight the war, and we're going to because you're going to try to make all of us disown our God. And so, as right. a as a city, no, <laughs> we say no. Right. 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 And uh, I mean, I, one of the great ironies, this is where, you know, I, I love the phrase uh, that Luther uses in the large catechism where he talks about sometimes the Lord uses a rogue to whip a rogue. Hmm, hmm, uh, hmm. The reason it turns out well and the reason the siege is lifted is not because Magdeburg has more resources than the rest of the empire combined. Uh, it's because Maurice switches sides again um, because because the emperor uh, has imprisoned his father-in-law Philip of Hesse for too long, and 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 other considerations, and he switches back to the evangelical side. Um, I love that. Once a traitor, uh, always a traitor. That's what I gotta say. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Traitors cannot be relied upon even when they've switched to your side temporarily. No, in fact, in fact, I'm pretty sure what I would do if I were king. I'm King David for a second, and I got a traitor that comes to me just like that. I say thank you for your army, and I I I get him away. Whether I slaughter him in, on the spot, if I'm a barbarian. Right, you know, horde master, I kill him. Uh, if if I'm a, a good king, right, I just move him out of the way into a tower somewhere, and I get as much of his power because you just you're right. You put someone else in charge of his troops. That's uh, but can, does that apply to church today? <laughs> uh, can you give me give me a little more? Oh, I don't know. Trusting people who betray you when they oh, say sure. they won't yeah, anymore. Yeah, I see. I was when you brought up David, I was thinking of. Uh, David is actually a really good example of bearing with atrocious. Absolutely. Yes. Go for it. Share that. Uh, um, David, David is not forced to sin by Saul, but he bears with innumerable atrocious injuries, but respects the fact that Saul is the Lord's anointed. And the reason David first occurred to my mind is because he slaughters the man that he sees as physically responsible for Saul's death. Yeah. Right. Right. On the spot, because he has contravened God's will and slain the Lord's anointed. Um, that is bearing with atrocious injury for most of one's life, at least one's early life. Um, I think I think betrayal is actually something that is disqualifying um, in a way that few other things are. Yeah. And I, I think when we think about people's foibles, their sins, their vices, uh, things especially that would detract from the coherence and the health of the group, whether it's a local congregation or the broader church, there is much that can be tolerated and there's much room for growth that I think everyone has betrayal, uh, especially of the group to something that is not the group cannot be tolerated. I can I do. I won't say obviously that it won't be used by God because God used Maurice to save Magdeburg in a, in a, in a marvelous irony. Okay. 
Uh, God can use whomever he wants, however he wants, but the group does not have to tolerate basic betrayal. Hmm. The group should also be, I think, one of the big takeaways for me is the group should be extremely suspicious of timidity. A man who is loyal and brave can learn, right? He can learn to be a better man. He can learn to be a better preacher, whatever's required. It's very hard to teach loyalty and to teach bravery. Um, so especially when someone demonstrates that he's lacking in one or both of those things, um, he certainly shouldn't be leading anything. As Melanchthon was leading theologically uh, after the evangelicals were defeated in battle, and then he said, yeah, I guess that's okay. I guess that's fine. Whatever you guys say, as long as nobody kills us, you know. Now that all sounds good on paper, Adam. It reminds me. Yesterday, I was I was listening to Rogan interview. Uh, uh, what's his name now? He's got a fake name. He used to be an NRA advocate, um, African American man. Really liked him, Justin Collier, something like that. Is that right? Um, I can't remember. He's on Rogan, and it was it's a good episode. I mean, if you want, if you're a Second Amendment rights person, this guy's a great advocate and a good example of why every ethnicity should care about you know, the right to bear arms in the country. As they were going back and forth about stuff, about an hour and a half, two hours in though, and and they're you know Rogan and I like Rogan a lot actually, but uh, he he went on this kind of Rogan harp about how the government should do this, that, this, that, and then everything would be fine. And it's just like, well, ain't that the trick? You got to move the actual pieces. And yeah. if we're talking about now not tolerating betrayal in the congregation, if we're talking about not tri- tolerating timidity in the church body, in leadership, or in your county school board, right. you can't just remove the timid person either, right? You can't necessarily get the person who wants to, to destroy you, uh, to leave your parish. They may just remain. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know, it's just easier said than done to say the answer is leadership, Right. The the answer is trusting each other as Christians. The human contingent of that is always local, and for that reason, right. it will be yeah, limited. Yeah, it yeah. will be a limited reality. So so own it where you find it. When you right. find church, dear heavens, own that thing. Um, so anyway, you, you go on that wherever you want to go. There are a couple of things. Well, I, I think that's why. Like when you look at the pastoral epistles, Paul is not evaluating like. Did this guy have straight A's in school or uh, whatever? Does he have the right last name? Um, you're, he's evaluating a person. And when you evaluate people, you necessarily have to know them. Um, <laughs> I think the question for church and church structure, and I'm not, I'm not even really talking about belonging to the group, because like I say, I think you can belong to the group and have done horrible things in the past and be forgiven. Sure. But there's a distinction between that and being in charge of the group in any sense. And so because leader, because the thing about authority is that um, it hierarchy sounds great until you're actually in charge of something or and then it, it. Yeah. And then it is a burden. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So right. if you're going to ask a man, everyone has things that they have to take care of in their lives. Being in charge of anything is an extra burden. Yeah. It's not good so to be the king. It's, it's not. not. And so don't put someone in there who's going to be disloyal to the group for his own reasons and or will be timid when the group is faced with difficulty. Right, afraid of right? upsetting the group, not his own yeah. man. Right. You, need, you need someone who's his own man, and yet not only his own man, but charitable enough. You know, you need a Christian. You need a good man as designed by God. I shouldn't say only Christians can ever do that in the first article. You can meet good people that pursue that kind of dutiful life. Um, yeah, so so to to believe that we have the ammo 
to be that kind of person is what Magdeburg's confession shows historically. Totally. That we've totally. got that in our in our, um what do we call it? In our artillery. And yeah. the Lutheran problem continues to be a lack of awareness that we even have artillery or are an army at all, right? Yeah. And of course the branding makes it rough given the history of Germany, honestly. It, it just makes it rough. So, so what do we do with this? Um, I don't know. I, how much do you? How much more do you want to say? We're over an hour now. How much more do you want to say today about Magdeburg? And do you want to follow up on something with it later, or how would you want to connect it to the other topics we've been we've been tinkering with? Um, I'm happy to talk about it more in relationship to the United States. I think more clearly applying the principles because I think that that uh, will give us insights for uh, how we relate to one another going forward. Um, some of the stuff that we've been talking about, uh, um, especially like Lutheran group insularity, can, I think, in some sense be fruitful going forward um, hmm. if if utilized properly. And I, 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 I don't, as much as I love to read about history, I don't like to focus on um, all the stuff we failed to do because it's kind of like useless for an uncertain future. Yeah. Um, so I think talking about how this applies to different levels of groups – uh, whether we're talking about church or family or whatever, is something that we're going to want to do in the f- in, in future um, if we haven't done enough of it today. Yeah, and the way I see this is uh, you, you talked about previously with me, and I, I'd like to follow up then with the history of power structures in the United States. I think that's where this then can fit really nicely into. And then it becomes a matter of, of just this, uh, the Magdeburg Confession as content. Forget the actual writing of it. The content of the idea, what was confessed as eternal truth that is still true today, is is something that American Lutheran pastors have to find and either embrace or discard because we've done neither by and large. We've avoided, <laughs> right? We need to embrace yeah. or discard it yeah. and adopt the yeah. alternative policy. And you just right. kind of got to know that if you don't adopt this policy, then you're adopting quietism. and And then you should own it. Right, because you think it's biblical, so don't let me yeah. insult you for that. If you think that's the biblical answer, but I think that before you make that your answer, you are duty bound to find this document and struggle with it. And that we, as a group of pastors, need to do that. And then, if we all believe it's true, at some point we've got to start teaching that this is the way dutiful citizens live. Right. Uh, I, I think. Yeah. I mean, quietism, or uh, it happened in the LCMS in the sixties and seventies, and I honestly seeing, I, I see it happening in lots of places today in the LCMS. Is that we are. Um, parts of the LCMS uncritically adopt not quietism, um, but just the dictates of the political left. Progressive uh, whatever liberalism, those are. sure, absolutely. Yeah, so, th- there's a video that uh, a pastor did that I used on this show a couple weeks back. It's got the most views of anything I've done in the last couple months, and uh-huh. he he's getting hate from LCMS pastors in the far northeast of this country. I mean, just just go <laughs> figure, go figure. You know how's this yeah, happen? I- I hear that New Hampshire is a hotbed of uh, left wing. Yeah, right. That's what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like out that way. You know, Maine, and, <laughs> yeah, and okay. New Jersey, that whole area. Where, <laughs> by the way, if you're just watching in the LCMS, there's a very clear history of this. We fought to keep belief in the Bible's inerrancy in the 1970s, and we all agreed, most of us, that we were going to keep it. Many, many left and formed the ELCA, but some stayed. Where'd they stay? Northeast, 
Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and then New England down the East Coast. And it kind of as you hit the South in Tennessee, you run into some different groups down there. But um, they're still there. They were harbored as those who did not believe the Bible's true. And they won't tell you that straight up usually. They'll have no, all these excuses. Nobody's, nobody's going to come out no, and say that. No, they'll have all these excuses. But you can hear it when they start complaining about a pastor talking about what he believes with conviction. Because anytime he, anybody does that, they don't like it. <laughs> Uh, They're they're limp-wristed handshakers. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, They aren't all, but they are, spiritually speaking. And it is what it is. It's a battle we have to fight. And that gets to history of power in the U.S. too, because the LCMS is not a power in the U.S. as we think we are. But we are, but we're super small. And then how do we fit now as a voice? Um, How can Lutheran laymen locally uh, get together to to action-orient themselves, to be a network, to support dutiful citizenship. I mean, it's, it's here and we have again, the ammo to build this system. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, looking forward to have you back to talk more about that. Yeah. Uh, be good. And, uh, that will do, hold on make sure I'm looking at the right thing. Hey internet. Well, <clears throat> we are, we are, we are back for just a moment. It is, hold on. I did this last time. I got to remember to do that before I come live. Uh, that was valuable. I watched about the last six minutes of that. I'm actually terrified. I left my head elder in charge of decision making with regard to a number of boxes and my washing machine. When you have five kids, there's very few things more important to move than your washer and dryer. I mean, the kitchen matters a great deal too. That one's done. But my washing machine is being dealt with without me. And I'm worried. But nonetheless, I did enjoy that last six minutes with Pastor Kuntz because it is so timely and apropos. And yet so also is moving day. Here's what I want you to know. I mean, I I listened to Ben Shapiro on and off last week quite a bit more. Things are going crazy. You know, I want someone who's going to talk some sanity somewhere, like at least say this is weird, right? In any case, he ends his his Friday shows before he goes on Sabbath, Shabbat, uh, with always the same advice. Turn it off. Turn it off now. You got enough this morning. Go outside, open a window, read a book. Take some notes on the book you're reading let the crazy white noise, the Googleplex, eat itself and talk to your neighbor and try to win them to consensus, to understanding, to neighborliness in neighborhood. And then, as the Lord gives you opportunity, preach, preach, confess, speak the words of life, the words of life. Because no one's got it right now. They got this fear-filled clamor screaming at them. And what they're missing is what they were missing way back at the start. Belief in the sin of nations, that's all of us. And belief in the Christ, then, that enters that darkness and breaks it open so you can see out the other side. This is what we expect from fallen mankind. Pagans and Christians can work together to say, this shouldn't be this way, we can manage it better than this, but Christians, we enter it differently. We don't, we don't enter it to make them submit. We entered it, we entered it, <laughs> we enter it in order to bear with them, understand them, and even as they kill us, say, I forgive you. Hey, this has been a blast to be here and not be here. I, I am so glad Mad Christianity is here and here to stay. Mad Monday is the newsletter. If you haven't signed up, you really should. It will tell you more than any other periodical generally in the Lutheran world you're going to find. I know it sounds boastful. I mean, if, if Trump can say, you know, I'm the best president, well, Lincoln was okay. 
And I'm not saying that was wise of him to say. I could say Mad Mondays is the best periodical in the LCMS. There you go. I said it. I said it. What can I say? Hey, there's other good stuff out there. We just happen to be the most pertinent at the moment if you give it a read. And so you got that. Patreon, of course, makes the world go round for me. So far as the show is concerned, this show, you subscribe to it. It comes out weekly. We go, please, thank you. And it just moves on. And for as little as five bucks a month, you can really get in and be part of that gear mechanism that more or less just keeps me eating, operating, buying cameras, and shouting into the madness with hopefully a small amount of foolish trust in the Lord, which brings clarity to your day. Again, Patreon, the way to help that out. Redfist.com, you can find it all there. Stop the White Noise, new podcast every week, usually on Thursdays with Brian Wolfmuller. This last week, we go, we go, well, I go, Deep Geek on productivity. So if that's your hack, get that one in your download folder. Of course, the same feed also brings you my sermons when they're coming out. It brings you the uh, Saturday morning chill audio. This will be turned into a podcast for you to pick up there. So on podbean.redfist.com, you can subscribe iTunes as well to all of that stuff. I think that's most of the information. Us the chill, keep it up. You're doing such good work out there. Stand firm where you are and be ready to, again, forgive and with gentleness, admonish, encourage, instruct. And if you're interested in this Lutheran Layman's Local Action Network, just keep in mind that the 4th of July is going to come and go first before we try to put any boots on the ground on that. But we do have a lot of cool hands in the air saying, hey, ooh, ooh, me, me. I hope you're also one of them. So it's not going away. Hopefully by the end of July or August, we are beginning our prototype packages for starting a LLAN group in your own home congregation. So stay tuned for that. But enjoy your 4th. And remember, this 4th could be one of the most magnificent ever. I'll be streaming live from... A basement in Cambodia, not the one I'm in right now, for sure, on that 4th of July, right? That's next Saturday, next weekend. Um, So tune in, by all means, then for that, uh, just in case the world's... Oh, did you know this? It's a full moon, 4th of July, too. Just just in case it wasn't weird enough in the world. And if I missed any Super Chats while I was gone, I apologize. I don't know what YouTube or Ecamm did to my backgrounds. But Jedi Knight Anakin, thank you for the Super Chat. All those Super Chats, I appreciate subscriptions and whatnot. Time to get back to my men and make sure they have not broken the washing machine that my family needs. You all don't wallow in the muck. You have no reason to. You have a hope that is alive and can keep that head lifted high even more as the terror convinces you that day is not far off. Don't wallow in the muck, my friends. And, oh, I almost, I almost, but we can do it. Don't wallow in the muck, my friends, and rock on. It didn't work. Let's do it again. Oh, let's wallow in the Don't wallow in the muck, my friends, and rock on. It didn't work again. How is that not possible? Command two. Really? Oh, 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 I'm so wise. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? (laughs) 